Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've kicked off a new week this Monday with a good old show for you. Four hours. Lots of fun. Lots of insight. Uh, where did we start? We started talking about why... The Kiwis have such an obsession with the England football team. we not big fans of their rugby team or their cricket team, but we bandy around them for the World Cup. Some really interesting calls on that in the first hour of Midday Madness. We talked to Matty White across the ditch. We talked about Test Cricket, a bit about the Football World Cup as well. Then a real privilege to have Mike Riley on. He is the voice of Ironman. He's been involved with it for four decades. And we look back at the Topol Ironman, uh, Ironman event over the weekend and what he likes about it and what's different about it to Ironman's right around the world. And he's an absolute icon of the sport and he's just hung up the microphone. Real privilege to have Mike on the show. Then Glenn Ashby, New Zealand's newest world record holder as part of Team New Zealand. He's a sailor, but he broke the world land speed wind record with his team yesterday in Australia. Fantastic effort. Tom Decent. The Sydney Morning Herald rugby and cricket writer. We're going to talk about Eddie Jones going back to the Wallabies or back to Australian rugby. Uh, and Davey Warner, the fallout from all of this Davey Warner malarkey. Uh, we're doing our biggest sporting moments of 2022. Today we bring you number 10 and number 9. Uh, we revisit Show Me The Money as well, how we went over the weekend. And the Vault, $500 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. 500 ninth day. Can someone get it? We did Sammy's usual little editorial sweet piece on what's making news around the world, and we had a look back in the day as well. Full show. Thank you for subscribing. If you're listening to this and you don't subscribe, do it. Just tick it. Helps us along the way to show that you are all listening, and we really do appreciate that. That is the Afternoons with Staffy podcast for Monday the 12th of December. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Get ready for a workday pick-me-up. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Good afternoon all, welcome to your Monday, I know you've been here for a while, I've just arrived in studio, good to have your company as always as we are continuing our countdown towards the Christmas break, this will be our last week on air, this personnel, uh, the station goes nowhere, we have a great rotation of guests coming for you over your Christmas New Year period. Um, so what are we doing a bit different this week? A bit different this week, we're going to count down the afternoons crew, that's me, Sammy and Captain K, our top 10 sporting moments of 2022. 
So we'll start today with numbers 10 and number 9. They'll be coming at you at about quarter to two and about half past three as well. Our biggest sporting moments of 2022. Numbers 10 and number 9. We'll do two a day right down to number one on Friday. And also on Friday, something to look forward to is probably the last half of the show will be what's affectionately known in the industry as the Christmas reel. Uh, also known as the bloopers reel. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We might even pop a cap at uh, off a little long neck uh, at about 2 o'clock. At about 2 o'clock on Friday. So uh, we will be counting down towards that. Also today, I guess the biggie, is the vault. $500 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Are we into our ninth day? We are so close as far as clues go, uh, so close. We're pretty confident it might go today. Uh, just a reminder, people have been putting their guesses into the text machine. That doesn't count. Temper bed post, fantastic beds, fantastic outlet. But we don't give it away via text. You have to call in, and that'll be at about 2.40, 2.45, somewhere around there. In between times. Between 1 and 2, we're going to go across the ditch to Matty White for the last time this year. SEN host over there. Uh, we'll have our update with Paulie Mawadi and also, as I mentioned, the number 10 in our top 10 of sporting moments for New Zealand in sport. Uh, between 2 and 3, this is a busy hour. We'll revisit our Show Me The Money over the weekend. We'll have an interview with Mike Riley. He is the voice of Ironman New Zealand and he is the voice of Ironman around the world. He's been doing it for 40 years and he's hung up the mic yesterday. And he's into retirement, but um, an iconic man in the world of Ironman and endurance races. We'll catch up with Glenn Ashby, Team New Zealand sailor. They've broken the world record yesterday, about 222 kilometres an hour on a dried-out lake in Australia. So we'll catch up with him, and then we'll have the vault. What a big hour that is. And in the final hour, between three and four, we're going to chat to Dom, Tom Decent. He is the Sydney Morning Hill rugby and cricket writer. So cricket to cover off, and Eddie Jones to cover off as well, and we'll also have our biggest sporting moment, our number nine, at about 3.30, and we'll have a look back in the day. Full, full show, a midday madness, people are ringing already, which is cool, 0800 150 is the midday madness number. I want to know why Kiwis have such an obsession with the England football team, the three, the three lines, it's coming home. Why do we get in behind the English football team? when we are again the cricket team and especially the rugby team in a polite way. I wouldn't call it hatred, but fierce competition. But when it comes to football and World Cups, we all get in behind England. Sweeping statement, I know. There'll be other team people out there that support Brazil and Argentina, me. Um, but what's the affinity with the English football team? 0800-150-811, Midday Madness. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Let's go down to Canterbury and talk to Kenny. Is he still there or is he gone? Kenny's gone. We go to Mikey in Christchurch as well. G'day, Mikey. Uh, morning, Steffi. Or afternoon, sorry. How are you? Good, good. Good, good. Um, I lived in the uh, UK with my wife for about six years um, back in the early 2000s. And um, it was probably around about peak Beckham. And uh, they they had an amazing victory over Germany. I think it was 5-1 or 6-1 or something um, prior to the World Cup. And then when the World Cup had it, it was big fever time. And 
they played a really, really good brand of football. And uh, and I think just at the time, you kind of got caught up in it. And uh, so I've always been a fan ever since. The only thing was, I think they got knocked out in a oh, was it group play or a quarter or something against Brazil. Um, 2-1. And they just, for some reason, all the games leading up to it, they were, they were quite amazing. And then they just sat in their heels for the whole game. The only guy running around like a like a, like an epic person was actually Beckham. He played his socks off that game, but he wasn't supported by any of his team at the time. So uh, yeah, and I guess because we don't really play football against them, so there's nothing to hate, is there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not in the same ballpark when it comes to ability-wise. I know. Certainly not in the same ballpark at all. Um, I actually, actually, to be fair, I also um, fell in love with the English cricket team over there because they had that epic Ashes game. Um, in the early 2000s as well. And they had the wood on uh, Australia, who, you know, who likes the Australian cricket team. So, uh, yeah, sort of, sort of got a, I've got a real soft spot for England. So it's a wonderful place. Uh, mm. London's just amazing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't watch too much football, but I certainly do um, and will always, always support England. Fair enough. You've lived there. I get it. I get it. Cool. Good Thanks, man, mate. Mikey. Cheers, buddy. Have a great day. Kenny's got back on another Kentab. G'day, Kenny. G'day, Steph. How are you? Good, Kenny. Good, good. I, I think you had a really good point in your last caller, like, especially coming from a city like Christchurch where all the architecture is actually really similar to back in England. Um, you, when you go visiting, it, it feels at home. You feel at home. Mm. So that's, that's one thing, I think. Um, but also... <laughs> I think especially with the year kind of the All Blacks have had this year, we can kind of relate to the English team on a certain level. With um, <laughs> we've, we've lost quite a lot, it would be fair to say, as the All Blacks this year and um, lost some games where we probably should have won. And I think you could say the same thing about the English football team in the last couple of World Cups. Yeah, that's a fair comment. That, that is a fair comment. And just what you're talking about, the architecture and stuff, I remember many years ago I used to do a podcast called The Rugby Roundtable and we always used to call Christchurch Little England. So there you go, I agree yeah, with exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, I've got a bit of a Christmas uh, wish list for next year as well, though, Steph. Excellent. Um, three, Probably three things on my Christmas wish list. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one would be um, Razor, and I said. Yes. Uh, the second would be another maybe five or 10,000 seats in the Christchurch Stadium, new one. Yes. <laughs> uh, the third one would, I've been trying to think of something for just a bit of an obscure sport, or not so much an obscure sport, but one that doesn't really get a lot of kind of traction or, or coverage in the country. And I wanted to ask your opinion on, on your top three. My top three for my Christmas wish list. Yeah, it's specific to something that like doesn't get a lot of the headlines. In New Zealand. Okay. Gosh, you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> Something that doesn't get the headlines. Um, well, you can even guess what mine would be. Uh, yours will be, gosh, can I guess what yours will be? I can't guess what yours will be. Tell me. No, that's all right. I'd actually love to see uh, a few of the Totara games down in Christchurch. Nice. I just don't know where they would do it. Have you got a baseball diamond down there? Well, the thing is, if we made the um, the the new multi-use arena an, a circle rather than rectangle, so it was actually a multi-use stadium, which is what they're calling it, um, then it would, you know, 
I know it's got a roof on it, but it would fit a baseball thing, I'd assume. Oh, Sky Stadium in Wellington's a circle, and that gets heaps of grief because it's not a rectangle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't live in Wellington, so I can't. You don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Well, no, it's, not, it's not that I don't care, though, but I, I just like a bit more um, sort of different sports happening in Christchurch. Yeah. It, could, it could be at Higley Oval. It could be at Higley Oval. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, good, good to hear you to a Tara fan. They're fantastic. I was going to go yesterday, but right. it was rained out. So there you go. Yeah. No, they're a bunch of legends. <laughs> they sure are. Thanks, Kenny. Good chatting. Cheers, Thanks, Cheers buddy. Uh, Turukaka, land of the Marlin. Michael, g'day. Steffi, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, Michael. I've caught a few this season already too, mate. Just course you have. Course yeah, you have. have. <laughs> hey, I think, I think why we resonate with uh, England, with the footballers, it's probably a heritage thing that, you know, back in the day, um, most New Zealanders have probably got Irish, English, Scottish heritage. Um, before the advent of, of, of satellite TV, we probably only ever heard about the, um, the English Premier League and the FA Cup and all that sort of thing. Mm. Probably... We've got more interested in European football, and since you know satellite TV came along, and, and um, you know, I think we we have it. We still have a this country probably still has quite a deep affinity with England, um, and I think that's probably why we support them. I mean, we'd probably, you know, if you looked at a game of cricket, most people would probably back the Poms over the Aussies in a Nations Test. You know what I mean? So I I, I think it's a deep seated. You know, like the guys from Christchurch were saying, you know, Christchurch is a little bit like Little England. You know, so I think that's where it stems from. And we're not a great football nation ourselves, so we're probably going to gravitate to someone that is. You know, mm. I I feel like like I'm probably a little bit that I do gravitate towards England because in my days that's all we saw was Premier League. That's- um, That's but, right. But in current times, you can you can go to some Premier League sides, and these bigger all Englishmen in those sides, and it's all these other internationals playing, and they go and play for their nations at the World Cup, and it dilutes it a bit for me. But hasn't that isn't that just uh, a symptom of the way global sport changed has changed? Full stop. I mean, Absolutely look at is. all the New Zealand. Yeah, you know, look at all the New Zealanders playing rugby in Europe now. You know, if you if you took them out, you'd probably you'd probably need to find half the number of players again. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's just a symptom of what of what global sports become, and it probably makes you know what I found fascinating watching the England um, England uh, French game yesterday is is Kane and the and the French goalkeeper are best of mates and play for the same club and and you know know each other like two brothers. Mm. Yeah. So. It's um, but so uh, who's going to win it, mate? Who's going to win what? The World Cup football. Well, I've drawn Argentina in the sweep. I've I've never won a sweepstake in my life, and I've been in thousands. And I've drawn Argentina, so me and Lionel, we are going to get it done. You reckon? Well, I hope so. I reckon it'll be a Croatian Moroccan final, and I wouldn't like to pick that, but you'd have to go for the Moroccans just because that'd be the fairy. Fairy tale sports story of the year. Oh, absolutely, it would. Oh, and I think that um, everyone's fact, I, everyone's cheering for them if their team's been eliminated. I think people are cheering for Morocco. Oh, and it's great that it's gone to another continent. You know, I was, I was saying to Ricardo this morning that the sad part about it is potentially you're not going to have 
you know, next time they're talking about having three teams in each pool and the bottom one goes out, where this one where you haven't really known right up until the last minute who, who, which two teams were going to go through because this was dependent on that and that was dependent on this. And it, it made it for a really exciting tournament. But if you look at Morocco, I can't remember where they came in their pool, but they, they may have got knocked out um, under the potential new format. So... Put on them, you know. There's a really interesting article in the Hill about them this morning. They sacked the coach three months ago and started again. Because <laughs> he, he wouldn't pick the best player. Yeah. The old coach. So they put a new one in and, yeah, here and lies the answer. Maybe Fozzie should look over his shoulder. Yeah, I reckon, mate. Anyway, good you, on you and Sam and the boys, have a good Christmas, mate. I've really enjoyed your show this year. You guys are at the top of your game. Have a good one and uh, we'll be listening out in the new year and come up for that fish, mate. We're all ready to go. Good man, Michael. I appreciate the kind words. Good to having listening, uh, listeners like you and you call in from time to time. I really appreciate it. Go well, bud. See you, mate. Bye-bye. from Tukaka. we got a parapara umu and talk to Zane. G'day, Zane. G'day, Staffy. Happy well, Merry Christmas. Almost that time. It is getting close. Uh, it is. I keep saying Happy New Year, but we're still a bit away from that. Um, <laughs> not a huge football fan, um, but do find myself wanting the Poms to win. And my feeling about it is it's one sport that we don't really compete with them in. You know, even if the All-Whites came up against them, we wouldn't generally expect us to win more than we lost. So in other sports like cricket or rugby, it's something we generally see them as rivals. So, you know, there's that hatred there. But similar with Aussie, mate, I was quite stoked to see how well they did in the... um, and the football as well. So when you're not directly competing against them so much, I think you can tend to appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, fair. And um, maybe it's also the pain. You know, as a Warriors fan, I can empathise with English football fans, I guess. <laughs> the empathy's coming out after our rugby year, isn't it? <laughs> oh, mate. Anyway, mate, that's my take on it. And you guys, if I don't have a chance to give you another call, have a great um, Christmas and New Year and look forward to talking to you again next year. Brilliant, Zane. Thanks so much for calling, as you often do. Always enjoy chatting to you, buddy. Zane from Parapara Umu. One more before the break. Zade, the life member. G'day, Zade. Good afternoon, Steph. Hey, mate. Uh, I just want to say something before I get on to my um, Monday sports wrap. Yep. Um... Thanks to uh, you having for me on the show. I'm in the studio a few times this year. Oh, good. Um, and uh, re- reviewing and previewing the UFC. And um, yeah, um, you, uh, Ker- you uh, Karen, and Sam, hopefully have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, always uh, love the show. Tune in pretty much every day for the whole four hours. Um, you always, um, and always good to have uh, Jeremy Paul on every Friday. Good day, but uh, bro, you always uh, remember him. Uh, TJ, TJ's an always good uh, Thursday interview. Molly Sparks, pretty good regular on the show as well. Um, but I want to get onto the UFC. You know, it's my sport. It's it was a great card yesterday. A great card. Um, where do we start? Riley Roses Jr., 18 years old, comes out with a swagger on debut, gets a submission. Um, what about um, Ilya Saporiai? Absolutely hammered Bryce Mitchell. Um, and one of the one of the more better fights is um, uh, it's not big, not too big, but uh, South African fighter Drakus Duplass C. Um, he was unloading in the first round like he only had five minutes in the fight. Sixty strikes to zero in the first round. Um, 
Then the next round, Darren Till came out for a bit, but then Dracus Dupla C last round took the back, got the choke, and boom, Dracus Dupla C now ranked in the top 10 of the middleweight UFC fighter, and he's put um, South African MMA on the map. Mm. Um, you know, it was an absolute great fight. Um, and then even the uh, next fight, that Ponzinibbio didn't come out too well. Um, first, second round was a bit slow. And then third round, boom, he wakes up, knocks him out. Um, yeah, might be a bit juvious, but Paddy the Batty won he didn't. on decision. He did win on decision, um, but he didn't win on my card, Zade. I don't think Paddy won. But who knows? He reckons he won, but who doesn't know? But I want to talk what about about what the judges... This is a stuff up of the year. How did Madalive Ankalaev not win? How did he not win? I don't How did know. he not win? Yeah, there was another 11 minutes up. of ground control. Mm. I know. 11 I... minutes. I can't even see and I can tell you he's won. Yeah. <laughs> 11 minutes of ground control. What are the judges looking at? Oh, bro, I'll be your eyes. I saw and I can't see how he could win. How he didn't win, you mean? Sorry, how he didn't win. Yeah, yeah. He was all over. Yeah, he, he controlled... He, I know he got kicked... For the first few rounds. But those last rounds, what they call the championship rounds, he was all over him. Old mate wouldn't even get up off the ground. He was just stuck to the ground. Mm. That's it, Jake. He was absolutely stuck. I don't know how he didn't get up, mm. but uh, how he how he did not win that fight. Um, and he was pretty annoyed after the fight, and so he should be. Even Blakovich knew he'd lost, you know? Yeah. That's I, I just don't know, but I think Dana White needs to get rid of those judges. It's uh, happened a few times this year, but... um. Yeah, there was 10 knockouts and 10 finishes in a row. Um, everyone got a bonus on the UFC um, that got a finish yesterday. So, yeah, great card. Um, won a few bets on Paddy the Batty, obviously. And, um, yeah, so that was good. And um, another good bet, and everyone was talking about it on Friday, was two games to go to penalty in the World Cup, 8 bucks fifty. First two games, penalties. Mm, nice. That boosted odds. There you go. But can, this World Cup get, can the World Cup get any more crazier? Like Morocco, how do they get through to the semi-final? I know. Morocco. I know it's a great story though. Uh, Croatia, well, that's a bit more understandable because they were in the last World Cup final. But Morocco's came from nowhere. Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 this is what I hope, Steffi. I hope it's a France-Argentina final, and I want to see Lionel Messi get up for one last World Cup. Because not being mean, you know, Ronaldo, he's he, he's been he's been too cocky now, you know, and he's mucking up for himself. And yeah, he deserves to not get picked for um for um uh, Portugal anymore. He's just he's he's he needs to retire quickly. He's he, you know he's going to go to Saudi Arabia, and that's going to make it even more worse because he's it just looks like he wants more money. So I want Lionel Messi to win the World Cup and go out on a bang. That's what I want. I'm with you too, Zade. You're an encyclopedia but, uh, of information, mate. We've got a full board of calls. We've got to get an ad break yeah, away. We'll hear from you okay, later on in the week. Good good man, buddy. Quick break. We'll be back with Ed. Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. It is a bit kia ora to Ed. G'day, Ed. Oh, no, me more to wire, brother. Kia ora, Ed. Hey, um, yeah, I was back in England with the FIFA World Cup, man. Why? Well, why not? <laughs> They're pretty good. <laughs> why not? EPL? Why not the Netherlands? Well, no, well, that was my pick, England, and they just got. Yeah. So I'm going with Argentina now, bro. Thank you. I need you to get them Later. up for me. <laughs> Later, bro. <laughs> See you, boy. There is Ed from Tolaga Bay. We've got time for Tim from Christchurch. G'day, Tim. How are you, Timmy? Good, thanks, Tim. 
compliments to you and the team. Thank you. Obviously, you know what I mean? A uh, couple of things. So, yeah, the Moroccan team, everyone's writing them off, but it's, to me, it's got shades of when Greece won the uh, the Euros. You know, they didn't score many goals, but they didn't have many scored against them. And I think I heard the other day that, like, Morocco have gone nine games with clean sheets in every game. So, I mean, like, any team that can do that, especially with the teams that they've played, they haven't played any mugs. They've played the best in the, in the world, the likes of, you know, Spain and Belgium and what have you. So for them to do what they're doing is phenomenal. But um, what I did want to touch on is, uh, I know you're going to talk to Glenn Ashby soon, and uh, like I love the America's Cup, and I just I find it devastating that they've taken that offshore. And uh, rather than, you know, like they've used the government money to get that cup and to defend it in New Zealand, and half the reason that, you know, that you do that is because you've got home ground advantage. So to take it offshore... And as far away as they have, it's pretty heartbreaking for any fan in New Zealand. And then they, um, it's great that they've got the speed record in Australia, but why can't they use that money to invest in, you know, all the infrastructure that's been, you know, that's been supporting them in Auckland? And why can't they use that money that they've spent getting a land speed record to help fund holding it in New Zealand? That's a really good point, actually, and it's probably it's one that Glenn Ashby wouldn't be able to answer. It's probably for Dalts, um, Grant Dalton, and I do I do remember him saying that if it was going to be in New Zealand, the level of financial commitment they just would have lost it. They they needed so much more money for technology, and I'm talking two or three times more. And offshore came up with the money. So he, if if you believe him, and I have no reason not to, he said. We have it in New Zealand and we don't win it. We have it offshore and we do win it. And his role is yeah, to they, win it. Yeah, I understand that. But they, you know, they threw the ball out last time. As they said, they threw the ball out design-wise and they came up with something far better than anybody else on a limited budget then against a team that had an unlimited budget and they still want it here. So mm. where's the loyalty to the fans and to the government and to everybody that supported them? And bought, you know, back in the days when everyone was buying red socks to support that team. Yep. And now they're going to take it off offshore. It's it's pretty heartbreaking. It is, yeah, because I, I actually worked on the last America's Cup. It's a fantastic event. But um, yeah, good points, Tim. I appreciate your call as always, bud. Cheers, boys. There he is, Tim, out of Christchurch, take new sport and weather. Come back with your calls if you want to join in. 0800 150 Oh, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Yeah! Uh, all of the calls that we've had in that first half hour and in the upcoming half hour will go into the draw. For the Ava Living Caller of the Month, if you are it, if you are that person, you can win the Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue. Go and have a Google of that, because it is a weapon of cookage. So the lines are open, 0800 150 and that Ava Living Caller of the Month goes all shows all across 24 hours. So, um, but... We have Midday Madness for the callers and we've had winners here before. So don't be afraid to give us a call 0800 811. We're asking you about the affinity with um, or the obsession. Is that a strong word? With the England football team. And, and I was just thinking about it myself and someone texted in here. Uh, hit this one. Uh, remember, I remember big league soccer in the 80s. Midday on Sundays and that's all we had. Yeah, I was the same. And I think that's what connected me to the English game but you know you look at the England side 
now, um, well, it's the same as football right around the world. And someone said it's the it's the generation and the internationalness of all leagues around the world, isn't it? That you have English players playing in Europe, playing in the States, playing all over the place. New Zealand, look at the All Whites team, for example. Bigger all play in New Zealand now. They're all over the world, and that's the changing face of international sport. But there's still this little link with England. And I'll be honest, I, I probably feel like when we go into this, I had my own personal, I had a little bit of a link to England and a bit of a link to Australia because Oceania, they're our cousins across the water, and they'd made the World Cup. So you sort of, me, I uh, hitched my World Cup trailer to those two teams, not not with too much passion, but um, I was so delighted when Australia made it through. Um, And then England, and I was watching that game yesterday, and I was hoping that second penalty went in, partly because I wanted extra time and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I was heartbroken for them. And I think it's because, what is it, 66 the last time they won the World Cup? And they're such a football nation. That'd be like the All Blacks having never won the Rugby World Cup. It must be so hard for their fans. But anyway, give us a yelp, 0800 We'll talk to Graham, and I'm going to guess he's in, it's Monday. I'll go Masterton. G'day, Graham. Oh, you're there again, boy. Are you living there now? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's just uh, really about this time of uh, every Monday I'm here. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just by chance. Um, no, just here, the, the English soccer thing, mate. Whether for Waikato or looking... Oh, sorry, carry oh, on. That's okay. <laughs> um, I've been an Ipswich Council supporter all my life. And I went from first division, you know, premier, to second division, to third division which is, what, League One now, but they're on top of League One, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, but um, the, the passion for it, mm, could you compare it with Kiwis for the All Blacks? I don't think so. Um, the English are so passionate. I remember seeing TV programs where West Ham or Man United supporters, they've got wallpaper with Man United. they big covers Man United. Yeah. They drink out of a Man United cup, you know. It's just, it's very, very different there, but they just live, eat, and... Double it. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I was looking in the stands yesterday and there'd be like, I I particularly remember one shot and there was four or five guys who would have been minimum 65 years of age and they were down 2-1 and the looks on their face was just like, are we ever going to witness a World Cup uh, win? I just felt so sorry for those guys because they look like the kind of roosters that travel to all the World Cups to go and support their team and they've been foiled again. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. Yeah, for sure. Hey, and no, I just wanted to say, mate, just I love this SCNZ family. Thank God for SCNZ Radio. Um, it's awesome. And um, people like Zaid, they mm. amaze me. Like he said, I can't see it. <laughs> I can't see it. I know he won. Just he amazes me with his, his knowledge of sport, mate. It's just amazing. But um, I love all the callers. I'd love to be able to have a national get together of all the SCNZ callers, you know, and. And uh, and just have a get together and put faces to names. You know, Graham from formerly from from Northland, now of now of um, Marlborough. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Dean from Dunedin and all those boys. I'd love to get together, mate. Of I know geographically, you know, you cover from Invercargill to uh, to uh, to Tarifa country, but um, you know, even Ed before, you know, it'd be hard case to get together, man. They'd be such a great group of people. Hey mate, I know you quite well and I've met Ed a couple of times. You too, you would go good. 
I could just sit back yeah. and listen to you two banter, two great humans. <laughs> yeah, well, you're right, mate. We've got some fantastic listeners and callers, and um, I agree. It's 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 a cool community we've built. Exactly, and I'd, I'd listen to you all day, every day if I could, mate. But you know, I've got to do a bit of work in between times, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> so, I don't mind doing that. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Always good, bud. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. See you. See you, boy. I just had a uh, text uh, from uh, PJ saying, Zaid, your contribution to this station I love. You made me interested in UFC, and I love your passion for all sports. Merry Christmas to you from PJ. There you go, Zaid. Let's go to Wellington and talk to Scott. G'day, Scott. Hey, Steph. How you going? Good, thanks, Scott. Um, yeah, I think uh, quite a few people have hit the uh, the right spot with it. Um Obviously, um, you know, you, you might have a family connection, which which I do. My dad's from the UK, and and obviously, um, you know, being being brought up uh, with him, he obviously, um, you know, got got you into watching the England team. And um, yeah, a, a lot of New Zealanders obviously connect with a, a football team over there as well. And and obviously that you know they're not normally playing. Um, you know, obviously it's normally at the end of the the season, but um, this is obviously a little bit different. But obviously at the end of the season they've finished playing, so um, you know you, you kind of through your team connect back to the to the English team because you might have one or two of your club players playing for the team. Um, and obviously, yeah, unfortunately, it, it would be great with the if the Oites were there to, to cheer on as well. But um, you know, we've we've only had that twice, so you do end up, um, I think, um, going with uh, with that with the connection with the club team as well. Mm, yeah, I, I think you're bang on, Scott. Uh, I think you're bang on, and I'm I'm reliably informed that New Zealand's a really good chance to make the next World Cup because they're expanding it. Yep. Yeah. No, they're going to uh, to 48, and and obviously Oceania gets a gets a place, which is you know it's it's good in one way, but it's yeah you kind of don't want to dilute it at the same time. I mean, 30, 32 is a great number. Yeah. Um, you chuck in 48, and you know it's not saying you'll get heavy one-sided games um, more often, but. You know, you, you still want that close competitive um, game each time. Yeah, you do. You do, Scott. Uh, thanks for calling, buddy. Always enjoy talking to you too, mate. No worries. If I don't talk to you, have a great Christmas and, and Sam as well. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, Donald and Brett after the break. Effie on SCNZ. Uh, back to the lines we go. Just before we do that, um, <clears throat> Graham of Wainui. That gave a shout-out to Graham of Marlborough, formerly in Northland. He's getting one back via text saying, hey, staff, cheers to Graham and have a happy and safe Christmas and New Year, everybody. Uh, from Graham, uh, formerly in Northland. He's going to call us later in the week. Look forward to that. Graham, we go to the phones. Donald from Christchurch. G'day, Donald. Steffi, how you doing, mate? Good, uh, good Merry Donald. Merry Christmas to you for the year and all the rest of the team and great show. Thanks, buddy. Hey, um, as far as the England team goes... I do support them because, um, like you, I used to get that on the Sunday afternoon, 12 o'clock, and yeah. watching the England, England teams play. But, uh, yeah, that's where I, my loyalty lies. But um, I did support Australia as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you sort of had to. They're sort of they're nearly us when it comes to the Football World Cup. If we're not there, they're the next best thing, I reckon. Yeah, we're next door neighbour. You got to support them, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, before I go, um, why did the hedgehog cross the road? Oh, jeepers! Uh, why did the hedgehog cross the road? Oh, did he have a death wish or something? I don't know. You tell me. 
uh, to see his flat bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Donald, you champion. Thank you, mate. Right, mate, you have a good one. See ya. Good on you, buddy. Uh, always good for a giggle. Uh, we're going to a champion of Huntley now. Brett, g'day, buddy. I love an Iron Man. Mike Grady loves to call them. <laughs> Did you compete in Taupo this weekend? No, uh, I raced in Napier the week before. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I managed to dodge the rain, but Napier was windy, man. And from all accounts, Taupo was pretty shocking uh, weather-wise. It was rainy. And, I uh, mean, if you're out there all day, once that sun sets in Taupo, everything just gets cold. So if you've been wet for 15 hours already, it's, it's a big magnifying glass to carry around until you get to, to Mike Riley, which is um, why I called. Um, people outside the sport, they, I was talking to a, a fellow at work today, and, and he saw the news, um, and Mike Riley was on there, and he asked me about it, and I was like, yeah, man, he's called me in three times at I'm in, and... That the last K of the marathon when everything is everything packed up three hours ago yeah. was to do with your body. Um, yeah, you think about him calling you in. Yeah, he's a, he's a big deal to us, huge deal. That's awesome, eh? You don't... Yeah, and uh, my my very first one, I I thought about that for my last K. That shit, Mike Riley's going to call me an Ironman scene. That's awesome, eh? That's awesome. One quick, one one thing I've always thought about Ironman, like we celebrate the winners and the category winners and all of that, and um, let's say the winner goes around in nine hours. You've got people taking 15 hours. And so they're at peak heart rate for 15 hours versus peak heart rate for, for nine hours. And I think about the same with the marathoners that take five and a half versus two and a half. And I applaud them almost more than the winners, Brett. I had uh, I had a yarn to Terenzo Bazzoni after after one and um, I had done all right. I had done fourteen under fourteen, and he he said flat out, if it took me that long to do it, I'd never do it. Yeah, and and I think that's fair, eh? It's a, like you're you're at it for fourteen hours. Just think about that, people out there. That Brett from Huntley, he's out there racing for fourteen hours. I couldn't walk for fourteen hours. And a lot of it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it does. Mate. A lot of it sucks. There's some there's peaks and troughs throughout the day. Mm. Um, but um, I, I spoke to a mate who was a super rugby player, and I told him when we get to that finish shoot, that is us running out of the running out the tunnel to a packed stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I haven't done I haven't done that, but I picture it being exactly the same. That's how buzzy it is uh, for us. What do you, Brett, what do you, th- I was thinking about this last night, like I know in, on the start line you get in the water and away you go and you're all about the pace and then you do your transition and you get on the bike and you get in. What do you think about for 14 hours? Is there any times you're sort of thinking about, oh, I wonder where we'll go for holidays? Is there time to just let your mind drift? Uh, yeah, the, the 180Ks is a long way to, to bike um, and then the kid can get pretty lonely on that road out to Rippador. Um but yeah, a lot of it is um, just uh, what's the, what's my cadence, what's my pedal cadence, uh, and I make sure I'm not overpowering the bike. Um, because uh, a big problem is you, you get out of the water and you've had a refreshing swim. Um, all of a sudden, you come, you get out of the water, and the crowd is four deep, mm. <laughs> cheering for you, and you just 
you're Joe Bloggs and you feel like an absolute rock star riding out a topo and you've never been fitter in your life. And then uh, you get four hours into that bike and the the wheels uh, fall off (laughs) if you go too hard. And it just makes that marathon so bloody hard at the back end of it. It's, yeah, it's just pacing and just, um, yeah, keeping an eye on stuff, eating, eating all the time, drinking all the time. Um, So, yeah, the the marathon isn't too painful because Mm. it's going to hurt. (laughs) <laughs> no matter hurt. what happens, it's going to hurt. Mate, I admire... So I, that's what I, I think in the start. Yeah. And the water is just... I've had better life choices. <laughs> <laughs> I admire men and women like you, Brett. You, you're inspirational and you're a good listener, a good caller too. Buddy, I appreciate you calling up today. Well done on everything you've achieved. Much love to Mike Riley. Thank you, Brett. Cheers, boy. Brett from Huntley. We'll come back after this. Over the next three hours, we're going to give you our number 10 and number 9 and our sporting moments of 2022. A few people have texted through a few of their guesses and a few of theirs. Um, AJ Patel did take 10 wickets, but it wasn't in 2022, so he hasn't made our top 10. Not taking away his accomplishment, and it probably was within the last 12 months, but 2022 is where we're sort of looking at. We'll bring you the first one at... 145. 1.45. After the news, we're going to catch up with uh, Maddie White. He's our SEN host over in Australia. They'll be cock-a-hoop about their cricket results, won't they? Um, I might have to remind them that the Black Fern Sevens beat Australia. And I think we are now tied atop the points table in the World Series standings for the Black Fern Sevens. And a much better return to form, albeit they lost the final in the men's sevens as well. Pretty good tournament for the Kiwi teams over there in Cape Town. Um, they'll come home now for a few weeks off and uh, then they rush to go. Hamilton will be having their last one ever in New Zealand, which is a big shame. Uh, we'll take some new sport and weather with Karen. If you're wondering where today's music, and that's the first of them, that's the first taster. It's all off FIFA, the game. It's all off FIFA, the game. I quite like that tune, though. I like that tune. Got it to my soul. Got me bopping in the studio here. Some text messages that have come through. Staffy, did you know that Morocco and Croatia were in the same pool? And it was a nil-all draw. I didn't know that, but I do now. Thank you, Kerry. Interesting. Uh, Staffy, another reason we follow England in football is that if it wasn't for them, them being England or Great Britain, in the 40s, we might have all been speaking German. And no one wants that. Uh, That is not good. I know what you're saying. Um, Staffy, maybe people feel for them because we choked for so long at the World Cup time before we were finishing where we were meant to be, like England. I'm personally on France and was thrilled to see them beat them. It's not coming home again. Buller Joe and Aussie. G'day, Buller Joe. Good to have you listening in from Aussie. I love it when the Kiwis listen in from Aussie. Even the Aussies listen in from Aussie. Like Merkin, like Jason, like Darren. Got some great Aussie listeners over there. 
Uh, Steph, on another note, have you seen the comedy sketch with Harry Kane and Johnny Wilkinson doing the rounds where Johnny teaches Harry to kick it over the bar? And that's how he won the World Cup. It was done in 2018. It hasn't aged well. Uh, that's from Aaron. Yes, uh, Sam just sent it through to me, actually, and I had a little look. It's quite funny. It is quite funny. Um, I struggle... This one's from... No, no. I struggle to support England football soccer team. Um, I struggle to support England football soccer team. Italy, who couldn't even make it this year, though all the way... I guess when you live in Wellington's Italian suburb and don't want a horse's head or craypots, uh, you need to go Italy. Island Bay, I'm guessing. Kia ora, Island Bay. Uh, staff, if it's Croatia and Morocco in the final, there will be a huge investigation into sports fixing. Haha, ha, question marks. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not this time. I haven't seen any evidence of that, Craig. Uh, Rory said he bought a Christmas tree in the weekend and the lady assistant asked me, will you be putting it up yourself? And he said, no, I'll be putting it in the living room. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, So much talk about the Football World Cup, and rightly so. It's going to read you something that I spied on, I think it was LinkedIn this morning, and it was from Simon Shaw. And if it's the same Simon Shaw that was the former England rugby player, he's written this about Ronaldo. Ronaldo walks off the pitch again. For me, he is rapidly eroding his stock value and his sporting legacy will ultimately be missing the most prized of accolades. For all the Ballon d'Ors, the titles, the scoring records, the legendary commitment to the most arduous of training regimes, he lacks a basic principle of what constitutes a class act. Class is easy to recognise but much harder to define. Similarly, the absence of class is easy to detect and a serious flaw for anyone who aspires to be held in high regard. Class is not an act. It's a deep-seated way of life for those who possess it. Having class involves good manners, politeness, pride without showboating, empathy, humility, and an abundance of self-control. The actions of class... Sorry, the actions of class act, people speak louder than their words. You can see it in their body language and the way they carry themselves. Class always shows without being announced. Show some class, Ronaldo, and in turn, show your opposition, your team, and the supporters some respect. Pretty hard hitting. Pretty hard hitting um, with the Ronaldo thing. But Captain K tells me, he was telling me this morning that... um, Ronaldo's always been like this, but he just feels like it's been amplified because the World Cup's on. But Captain K, cans on, mic on, has he always been this petulant? Look, for me, I when we had Stephen McIver and we got into it about this because he was saying that Ronaldo's a winner, he's just confident, and that's what athletes really need. But for me... He's always been arrogant, but it's when he puts his head down and and really tries to go for things. Like Real Madrid is the perfect situation. He was there for uh, seven years of his career, the best seven years of his career, and he was just hardworking. He never came out and said any ridiculous comments, never went on with Piers Morgan or or nothing like that. He was just a hardworking man trying to be better than Messi is ultimately what he was trying to do. And now that people are seeing it on the world stage, I mean, this World Cup's the most viewed we've ever seen. And I just think now that people are actually seeing it, they're putting it out there and being like, oh, Ronaldo, blah, 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 and people are 
the, the general population are putting these opinions on him when he's actually been like this forever. Perfect example. Sir Alex Ferguson gave him the chance at Man United, slapped him on the wrist once. Ronaldo said, oh, I feel like I'm a slave at this club. After one incident with Sir Alex Ferguson, the man who gave him his career ultimately to me, and, and he left to Real Madrid. And that's when he got all this hate. So he put his head down and, and worked really hard. And I became a massive fan of him. But mm-hmm. now that he is, it's just, I can't stand it. He's lost his career. He's lost his legacy. No respect for me. Okay. There it is. Hard hitting from Captain Kate. We're going to go across the ditch to Australia. I better get up the cricket scoreboard because I know Matty White will want to talk cricket, for goodness sake. Uh, and I think he's there now, Matty White. I'm right here. I'm right here, buddy. Hello to you. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. Okay. Away you go. Australia, uh, what a test match. Go on. Yeah, yeah, what a test match. Now, look, we can, we can talk about our great performances, and there are plenty, which is awesome. Um, we just, and I've just had a discussion with one of my listeners on the phone about the West Indian performances. So, so let's start there with, with the state of the opposition. What's the Kiwi take on, on the Windies' um, role at the moment or, or place at the moment in test cricket? Battling. Um, like their athleticism um, is undeniable. They've always had gifted athletes, but I always, when they get Team Harmony West Indies and Team Unity, um, they're a dangerous, dangerous beast. But I'm, I don't know. I'm not seeing it. And I know winning creates a much better culture, and they're just not winning at the moment. The Windies, but the world is the cricketing world is a better place when the Windies are in form. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And you, you want to, you know, you want a takeaway, don't you? You want names to remember and 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 great uh, outcomes or images to remember. And unfortunately, they didn't have too many on this one. Australia, meanwhile, just went ballistic. They filled their boots, and that's all they can do. I, I made the point this morning. As much as it drove us nuts, Staffy, if we didn't have the David Warner drama <laughs> going on. And the leadership drama, I don't know how much press they would have generated around this around this series. I mean, once we got going, there were runs to talk about, there was Scotty Boland to talk about, wickets, all that kind of stuff. But, gee, it was, it was pretty bare in terms of talking points. Yeah, I, I reckon a good talking point that the Aussie press have got to get onto or Australian cricket's got to force down your throats is Travis Head. Gosh, what a, what a great... Bloke, he seems to be, and I hope that doesn't change because it does change with some people when they get in the Aussie cricket team. But and the performance he put out in Adelaide was just brilliant. Yeah, and player of the match as well, which was I, I, the one thing I did love was the the smash and bash. All right, let's go out there and throw. It. There's nothing better, I reckon, than at the right time, Staffy, seeing somebody like Steve Smith, who's you know trying to be a perfectionist all the time. Somebody like Travis Head, who's got wonderful timing, just stand there and slog it like you and I do in the nets when we're trying to hit the bejesus out of it and it doesn't go right. You know, it's just, there's something really, I don't know, awkwardly unique about the way that they do it. There is. Do you feel like, and I don't mean to bring New Zealand into this, but that the way that the England Test cricket team, have they served notice on their style of play, and of course, the greatest rivalry in all Test cricket is England and Australia. Australia would have seen what England are up to, and I feel like they're leading the way, England, and saying, "Hey, Aussie, looking forward to playing you. This is how we play." I think there's no question about that. I, I think absolutely because as good as you might be in your own series against, say, the West Indies and, and let's see what happens against South Africa, you have to think about what's coming up next. 
and the game's changed of what's coming up next. They don't look at England the way that they did last time around. They've got to look at them the way that they're playing this time around and adjust accordingly. I reckon, I reckon one of the big questions around that is how much does Australia think it needs to adjust to England's game plan mm. or how much does Australia think it needs to stick with what it's doing and let England... Because you can't control what the opposition how they want to play and, and their philosophies behind playing. So there'll be a, there's going to be a point, isn't there? There's going to be an impact point where one meets the other. Either England have got to adjust to the way that Australia are playing in this series if they've got the upper hand or vice versa. And what the outcome will be, we don't know. And what style that they end up playing, we don't know, which is extraordinary. Scotty Boland looks as though he's going to stay in the team to play South Africa over here, which is good news for cricket fans because they love him, which means that Josh Hazelwood's going to be ruled out there. Um, you know those kind of... Who, who from your side of the ditch is the kind of Scotty Boland athlete, the shy, retiring type who toils away time and time again and then hits the headlines like no tomorrow last summer with that six for seven and then does it again at the Adelaide Oval and... In the meantime, all he really wants to do is sit down the back of the bus. He wants to sit in his own corner in the dressing room. He's a quiet, shy, retiring type. And here he is in the biggest of big lights. Yeah, we've probably got uh, probably a couple. The first one that sprung to mind when you mentioned that was Matt Henry. He's always been the second seamer behind Bolton Southie. And then he was the... Oh, sorry, the third seamer. Then he was the fourth seamer behind Wagner as well, and he never really gets a dart, but he is the nicest, most pleasant, unassuming bloke you could come across. And, you know, he, he deserves to have had more starts than what he does, but he never complains. He just He's just a quite unassuming guy. And the other guy's probably Daryl Mitchell, who was a revelation in last year's T20 World Cup when they chucked him up the top of the order and he just went ballistic. Um, and then he's just struggled to get game time from time to time as well. So they're a lot like you and I, Matty. You know, we don't want fanfare. We're happy to just sit down and give our best yeah. uh, when we get one chance in five. <laughs> yeah, you and I, you know, we'll take six for seven on a Boxing Day test. No worries. And three for none uh, under the glare of the Adelaide Oval. No problems. I'll take that any time. Hey, Eddie Jones is, is an interesting story and, and he's always been an interesting cat, but he's now out of a job. Now, I, I know that, and it's been reported again, that Hamish McLennan, who's the chairman of Rugby Australia, has spoken to him across the weekend. There is interest from Rugby Australia in terms of somehow utilising Eddie Jones in between now and the World Cup. Is is there any thought process around from, from the Kiwi rugby side of of Eddie Jones's place in world rugby and coaching his different techniques and also perhaps the fact that so close to a cup, he's got he's got all of England's secrets. He he had everything lined up and ready to go there. And they're now in his back pocket. I mean, he, he could be a wanted man. Yeah, he could be for England secrets. I do take that point. I don't know that saying to Dave Rennie, hey, we're going to get Eddie Jones in to give you a hand. I don't know how well that would be received by Renz, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, the the rumours about Eddie going to the US on an eight-year deal to completely rebuild them, that one completely suits Eddie Jones. He's great at developing programs, developing systems. Um, if, if Australia want to rebuild rugby in Australia from the ground up, 
then I say yes. Putting him straight into a Wallabies advisory type situation officially, I, I tend to say no, but give give him access to, give him a job to rebuild from club and district and province and super and rebuild it properly. But sticking him in the coach's box with Dave Rennie, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that would be the right fit. Oh, I reckon you're right. I, I think, and, you know, Dave Rennie should have all the cards here. He's the incumbent. It, in that scenario, it, it needs to be one or the other. Mm. It's that, that would be that hard conversation, right? You want Eddie to come in? I mean, put yourself in, put yourself in Dave Rennie's shoes. And, and knowing um, what Eddie could bring, no question about it, but also, you know, how his entire career has, has followed this, this line. He's a bit of a disruptor. He does get success along the way, but there's often a, a broken window on the way out. So <laughs> I think you've got, to, you've got to say, if you're Dave Rennie, you know what? It's it's one or the other guys. Who, mm. who are you who are you backing here? And that forces it to a head. I, I would be more interested in what's in the little black book. Okay, yes. what happens at the World Cup when we get towards England? And what have you guys been training for, thinking, processing, all that kind of stuff? That's perhaps the that's perhaps his greatest value at the moment. But oh, you know what? Rugby Australia, Staffy, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something left field that comes out in between now and by the time we get to the World Cup because Eddie Jones is sitting there. It's a totally different scenario to when he already had a job. Oh, look, he's more valuable on the books than off the books. It's just how you utilise him. Like He's a wonderful rugby brain, a wealth of knowledge, and as you say, he's got inside running on England. But he'll have to be on the payroll if he's going to share it with the Wallabies. So get the checkbook out, Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Big Boss. <laughs> exactly. All right, mate, better let you go. Hey, I've, uh, I'm going to wrap it up at the end of this week. So it's been wonderful chatting to you every week, as we always do. And you have a great Christmas and a great Christmas to all of your listeners over there who tune in uh, via the app and, and listen to us waffle on for 10 or so minutes on a Monday morning. And to you and yours, Matty. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Mark Stafford there. There goes Matty White out of Australia. Yep, and we're wrapping up at the end of this Friday as well. Coming up very soon, um, we're going to play our number 10 in our countdown 10 to 1 of our sporting moments. I do hope you enjoy them. 10 and 9 today, and do remember the vault is in about an hour and a half as well. So if you don't know the clues already, I would suggest you listen to at least the last couple of days because there's plenty of clues in there. And if you can unlock the vault today... $500 $500 TAB bonus bet, the biggest bonus bet ever given away on the station. But uh, the TAB bonus bet, that's three Bs in a row. And you know what happened last time three Bs got together? I'm not saying. We'll take a break and we will come back after that. Righto, for this week we're counting down our top 10 sporting moments of 2022. Today we're doing numbers 10 and number 9. Here is our entry for number 10. The biggest sporting moments of 2022. Number 10. Heading into the T20 World Cup, our Black Caps were given barely a tepid chance of going deep into the tournament. This is despite 12 wins and 3 losses going into the tournament, albeit half of those matches being against Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands. The toughest hurdle was the first hurdle, Australia in Australia. It had been 10 years since the Black Cap 
had beaten the Baggy Green in their homeland, way back when Trent Bolt made his debut. The previous time they had met was in the delayed 2021 T20 World Cup final in Dubai 12 months earlier. Kane Williamson scored 85 off 47 balls. Remember those days? Oh, and he goes again. He puts it in the gap, but it doesn't matter. Why would you worry about the gaps when you're sailing over 50 cups up? First pull again, and again it pees off the outer half of the bat for Williamson. No, just a change of line. Oh, big from Williamson. Monstrous. Four, four, six. Picking start to the cleaners. New Zealand finish at 172 for four in this T20 World Cup 2021 final. Maxwell looks to finish it, and he might have done it as well. Five times 50 over men's World Cup champions, a team that can never, ever be written off. And they've finally got their hands on a men's T20 World Cup trophy, and it is richly deserved. Improved with every game have Australia. They are now a champion team. And so to this year at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Australia won the toss and sent New Zealand in. Finn Allen says, G'day world, with 42 off 16. Allen comes down the wicket, it tees off down the middle of the fairway. 400 yards down the middle of the fairway. That is a towering six straight over the bowler's head. Devin Conway also goes bang. Conway comes down the wicket and launches him back over the bowler's head, over the side screen, another big blow. This time Conway in the action as far as sixes are concerned. Not the case. He might have his number here as Conway goes long over mid on. Has he got enough? You betcha. That is a six. I thought he'd hold out to deep. The man in the deep bit long off, and he got a lot more on it than I gave him credit. Take a bow, Devin Conway. Another half century. New Zealand finish, 200 for three. Aussies turn to bat. And Tim Southey, who had had no success ever against David Warner, Bolts his first delivery of the match to him. And has never got out to him. Here is Southey, bowling. He is now, he's bowled first ball! You wouldn't believe it! A dirty swipe across the line by Warner. He tried to hit him out of the park, but he's got to leave the SCG because Tim Southey has his scalp. Gone for five, five for the loss of one. Southie finished with three for six off just two overs as all the bowlers chimed in for an Australian capitulation. Here is Marsh going high over mid on. He's Jimmy Neesham takes the catch. But quicker, he goes inside and out, lifts it up over extra cover. He hasn't got this at all well. Oh, what a catch, Glenn Phillips! Swain edges and he's gone. Conway takes the regulation catch. Trent Bolt is searching for a wicket. He's got one now, straight through Stark. Zampa stands his ground and gets bowled. Clean bowled by Trent Bolt. Southey is in and bowling to him. Sliced straight up in the air. Conway stands underneath and takes the catch. It is a World Cup ambush. New Zealand, for the first time in 11 years, down Australia on these shores. And so it was done. New Zealand beat Australia comprehensively and ultimately put in a performance that would prevent Australia getting to the knockout stage of the Cup in their own country. So 
So there it is. That's our number 10 on our biggest sporting moments of 2022. What a day that was. What a moment that was. And I, and I feel like our memories of the T20 World Cup were missed opportunities. Uh, made the semi-final and didn't kick on. But boy, oh boy, that very first match was unbelievable. And denying Australia to go through while our hosts was a pretty phenomenal performance. Didn't know it at the time, but in the fullness of time, the run rate was the one that undid them. That is our number 10. We'll have number nine later on in the show. Uh, New sport and weather, here's Karen. Scratchings and the tips, the whole lot. It's the first port of call is always the punters lounge. Paul Mawadi. There was a Tommy Touchdowns fan before the game that we are witnessing at the moment. Phil, turn your radio down, who had a hefty, hefty multi-bet, I'm reliably informed. Um, which match are we talking about, Steph? Are we t- Tom Brady. Are we talking, oh, are you talking about Tampa Bay? Yes. I, I've just seen that that game's just finished as well. And um, for Tampa Bay fans, it's not the best news, to be fair. Uh, Tom Brady get beat by, who's this guy? Brock Purdy. Yeah, household oh, name, Brock Purdy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the 49, who needs Jimmy G? <laughs> Give us Brock Purdy. So, yeah, the 49 is doing a, a big job today on uh, Tom Brady and his boys. Um, so uh, they uh, continue on and uh, looking good for the playoffs uh, as well, if they can go that far. So, Yep, and we've got a bonus back promotion on the last game today. The Chargers up against the Dolphins. Um, just having a look at the markets there now. The uh, Dolphins, uh, slight favourites there, $1.56 uh, in LA, who are $2.40. Um, we've got a boosted market there. Tua and Herbert, both one or more passing touchdowns in each half. That's from 375 out to 450. That's pretty popular with punters, um, but at the moment uh, we're we're all focused on the round ball because there's plenty happening with the semi-finals uh, due to start in a couple of days' uh, times. And I've had a look at some of the market staff um, of the four teams that are left. The biggest bet we've had on Morocco, huh. uh, $1,000 at 11, Oof. and you. You could have got them at $201, Morocco, uh, before the tournament started. Wow. Croatia, uh, a $3,000 and a $2,000 bet at $8. They're the two biggest bets to win the um, Football World Cup. And the biggest price you could have got on Croatia, $81. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Argentina, uh, biggest bets there, 1.3K. At eight fifty and a thousand dollars and fifty at nine fifty, and the biggest price the Argentinians were thirteen dollars. Oh, sounds and... crazy now, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And the French um, biggest bet on them to win the Football World Cup three thousand five hundred and forty dollars at seven fifty. Uh, biggest price you could have got on the French nine dollars. So there are there are some big prices there on all four teams. To be fair. Um, if you if you got on at the right time. Now, in terms of the games that are coming up, the first semi-final, Argentina and Croatia. If you're a Messi fan, you probably don't want to be listening to this because at the moment there's more money on Croatia uh, in the head-to-head market wow. uh, than we've taken on Argentina. And I 
think what they're about Argentina are about a dollar fifty. Let's just have a little bow peep here. Argentina a dollar seventy two. Sorry, in the head to head market, Croatia five dollars. The draws at three twenty five. Uh, and in the two qualifying market, where Argentina a dollar thirty two, Croatia three dollars. Almost three times as much money on Croatia than on Argentina in that two qualify market. So looking for a, an upset there in that first semi-final. And the second one, um, Morocco are trading almost dollar for dollar with the French in the head-to-head market. Uh, and we've taken almost one and a half times as much turnover on Morocco in the two qualify market than we had on the French. So a lot of punters, early money anyway, hoping for a couple of upsets in the two semi-finals. Now, honesty from you, Paul Mawadi, with Brazil gone from the Football World Cup, are you having whipped cream on your scones at TAB Central <laughs> and are you expecting silk sheets for Christmas? <laughs> uh, it was a good result for us, uh, Brazil not going any further, staff. However, uh, we still have a significant um, liability on Argentina to win the whole lot. Uh, that's because a number of punters did jump on after they lost that group match uh, against Saudi Arabia. They and they went out. To, they were on the second line of betting there, uh, behind Brazil. And after that pool game, that group match, they went out to around eight or nine dollars, and a number of punters jumped on then. So there's still a significant liability on the Argentinians. Um, the other three, we uh, yeah, there might be a wee bit of cream on this gone. Um, yeah. Is the golden boot still alive and well and kicking, as they say? Can you still bet into the golden boot? Yeah, you certainly can, Steph. Um, just having a look at that market now. Of course, Killian Mbappé is at the top of the golden boot standings as we speak with five goals. Didn't get to score one uh, in the quarterfinal, in the quarterfinal matchup uh, that France had. Uh, Lionel Messi and Oliver, uh, Olivier Giroud uh, both have four goals. Uh, and then of the other players that are left, uh, Julian Alvarez is on two. And Yusuf N. Nezri, uh, who scored two in the I think he, uh, sorry, scored one in the semi uh, quarterfinal. Um, let's just have a look at the market. Mbappe, $1.50 favourite. Lionel Messi, $4. Olivier Giroud, $7. Julian Alvarez, 51 uh, and in Nasri, 71. There are a number of other players in there as well, but um, it, it does look like it's between the top three in that market. Um, Mbappe on five, Messi on four, and Giroud on four as well. I've had a couple of voices in the hot box tell me that you'd, you've already paid out on Mbappe. Yeah, early payout on Mbappe. That's right. So um, <laughs> if you had an early bet, you've got your money. The money's in the bank. And if, Come on, Messi. Come on, Messi. I knew knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Get three, boy. Go on, Messi. (laughs) The the perfect result would be for Messi and Giroud to to dead heat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, glory days. Glory days. Oh, well. Oh, well. The punters might get one over. Uh, get one over on you, but just use some of that um, Brazilian Brazil. uh, coinage <laughs> yeah. to pay out. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Thank you, Steph. Good man, Mike. Always good chatting, buddy. Uh, okay, then. cheers, mate. Paul Boardy from the TV. So they, that, that does happen from time to time. You just go early. Um, 
Mbappe, he must have had a decent old lead, eh? And then they said, oh, we'll give it out now. It's it's a little bit of a marketing ploy, but it can bite you on the batocks. And if Mbappe doesn't get any more goals and Messi gets one or Olivier gets one, they're going to be tied for first and where you go, where you go. Happy days, happy gardening. All right, uh, we'll have a quick break. Let's have a quick break. Um, we'll find out what's making news after the break, do we, Sammy? Yeah, we will. We'll find out what's making news uh, irreverently from Sammy Hewitt. Gentlemen, I've, I've just, just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Oh, I can't believe we've only got five more of these. Four. No, no, five. We do do five. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, rightio. Well, wow. big, big, old, big old weekend of the old sport there, Steph. Yep. Uh, plenty going on. Plenty of goings on. Plenty, plenty of goings on. Uh, but outside of the sporting world, um, lots to actually. There's two sports-inspired stories here, but I'll start outside of the sporting world now. Um, I've long had a suspicion uh, of the motives of cows. The motives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cows and sheep. Um, there was that movie Black Sheep that came out, and ever since then I've just think sheep are evil. Mm-hmm. Something about them. Um, there's actually quite a few animals I think that have suspicious motives. Now, cows, have you ever gone like close to a paddock and just stood in front of a whole group of cows just looking at you? Yeah. And it's just, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and obviously you do a little jolt and they all sort of back off. I think that's just a smoke screen throw you off the scent make them think that you're sort of scared and gullible but really they're they're killers Um, and proven by the story that I have here North Carolina uh, it was the church nativity scene right or nativity play whatever they do uh, pre-Christmas and uh, it was disrupted when the cows they weren't prop cows people they were genuine cows on the nativity set um, fled Broke out of the broke out of the scene, uh, and police had to chase them. Apparently, they were trying to um, go through a river, get to the other side. They're trying to escape. Now, if I may, um, Steph, just suggest that um, these cows uh, back at their home as a family got together and said, "Guys, it's time to get out of here." Okay, had enough. Had enough of the stale grass mm. and the dirty water. Mm. So when uh, Farmer Joe came round and probably facetiously asked the cows who wanted to be involved in the nativity scene, up went the hands. And the planning began to use the nativity scene as the getaway. Wow. You know what I mean? Yes. You see where I'm going with those people? They knew what they were doing. They And, like, no horse wants to be an activity play staff. They want to be out in the paddock yeah. enjoying themselves. That you do. Yeah, so they put themselves through it um, so that when the heads are turned, and, oh, look, baby Jesus, <laughs> off we go. And so uh, it's actually quite comical. Um, there's, I think there is photos of them as well, um, of the cops chasing them down the road as they're trying to run away and then into the river. And the cops are in the river trying to, like, herd them back um, way steep in the water. Um the pastor's wife, the pastor of the church, um, told the local newspaper that the calves, along with donkeys and sheep, are provided by the local farmers who bring them to the church. On two weekends for the nativity scene, they go home to their farms. Between performances, they've got roomy pens. They're not chained up. They're given their usual food. So according to them, luxury, but 
as I said, cows have bad intentions, Steph. They knew what they were doing the whole time. <laughs> All part of the plan. And credit to them. Who wouldn't try and get out? You know what I mean? It's not a moot point. No. It was like the uh, a moot point. It was like the cows that broke out of the KFC truck a while back. I remember that story. Or, or the chickens or something broke out of a KFC truck or a McDonald's truck. You should look that one up. It's very funny. Um, Kez loves it. <laughs> He's a big beef fan. Um, Kez will like this one, though. The NBA has unveiled um, a new trophy for the winners of the regular season, the, the team that has the best record staff. Now, they do this in the NHL. It's called the President's Trophy. They do it in the MLB. Can't remember what it's called in the MLB, but if you've got the best record, you get a trophy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the NBA has said they're going to start doing that. They're going to call it the Maurice Pod- Podoloff Trophy. Um, which is funny, Steph, because the Maurice Podloff Trophy is the name of the MVP award. Oh. So now people are suggesting that the NBA is going to change the name of the MVP award, which is opening up a whole can of the worms because who, who do you name it after? Give me a name. Do you go someone who did a lot for the game? Do you go the greatest of all time? Kez? James Worthy. Kobe Bean Bryant. <clears throat> oh, that's not bad, actually, the Kobe Bryant. Because yeah, they wanted to change, they the wanted logo. to they wanted to change the logo, didn't they, to the Kobe Bryant, mm. to a picture of Kobe Bryant. So maybe it could be the Kobe Bryant MVP award. I like that. Yeah, I'd vote. Well, we'll see, we'll see. But the suspicions are high, unless they do just call both the trophies the same name, which seems silly. But they might do it. And finally, um, a Formula One, Carl Frederick, who apparently is a very high in fashion designer, has partnered with uh, Alpha Tori, the Formula One team, to create a Formula One inspired suitcase. Oh, yeah, just a little, just a little carry-on, um, aluminium frame. It's supposed to look and sort of feel like a race car and, and inspired by a race car. It's aluminium frame, handmade Italian leather detailing, silent spinner wheels. You're going to tell me the price, made by Japanese you? brand Hinamoto, better known as the gold standard in wheel manufacturing. Uh, who doesn't want that on the carry-on? Um, it's very, very cool stuff. No, it doesn't. It didn't have a price. It was actually. Oh. I just saw it on this website, and um, yeah, who wouldn't want a Formula One inspired um, piece of carry on? Um, efficient, powerful, and slick, and sleek. Fact of the day. Florida man. No, I've got a Florida man. Okay. Florida man stole one thousand three hundred and seventy-five dollars worth of toothbrushes. One thousand what? Sorry. One thousand three hundred and seventy-five dollars worth of toothbrushes. Sure. Sped away in a white Lexus. Yep. Police gave pursuit. He threw the toothbrushes into the river, mm. but he's been arrested. And I was thinking, how many toothbrushes is that? It's got to be a lot. What, two, three bucks a toothbrush? It was six electric toothbrushes. Wow. Mm. High end. High end. Formula One inspired. Driving a Lexus, <laughs> my nice vehicle. <laughs> wow. Fact. Okay, well, um, Walmart. <clears throat> how much do you think Walmart loses a year, estimated, um, due to theft? And I'll give you a hint. It's 1% of their total revenue. Really? Yeah. Well, oh. around 1%, yeah. Oh, it's over a grand. Well over a grand, Mark. <laughs> well over a grand. A lot of toothbrushes. <laughs> Put it that way. It's uh, $3 billion. In theft? Yeah, they get, they make $300 billion and they estimate uh, they get about a billion dollars with it. This is across the entire United States, so that is a lot of money. They need to sort that out. You'd think so, yeah. Just a couple of uh, metal detectors or, or tags or something would solve the $3 billion issue. But or Closed circuit television? Yeah. Well, they probably all have those. But that's... Have you ever been to a Walmart? Yep. yep. Are they big? Are they like the warehouse? Very big, very big. Uh, bigger, probably a bit bigger than the warehouse. But um, yeah, that's where I bought like three packs of Dunkaroos. Oh, that's that right. We've had yeah. that story. The yeah. Dunkaroos. Yeah, good Walmart. Walmart. Yeah. yeah, nice. All right, we'll have a break. We'll come back. Uh, big hour coming up. 
I had a text in here saying, where is it? Here it is. Hey, Steph, Trent Boulder's paying $34 to be the top wicket taker in the Big Bash League. Do you know if he's available for the whole tournament, Simon from Seddon? He is not. He is not. He's only going to play half the season. He's committed to the Emirates team in the new UAE-based T20 league. So just half the season for Trent Bolt, which I would suggest why he's paying $34. And as good as he is, I don't know if he could uh, go through and take the title. Uh, From Kenny, James Naismith Trophy should be the name for the NBA MVP winner's trophy. Great suggestion, Kenny. What a man. What a man. And Staffy, I can't support Argentina in the Football World Cup after the way they behaved after their win on the weekend. Absolutely terrible from Pete. Yes, they did carry on like pork chops. I have read a report that during the whole game, the Netherlands were absolutely giving it to the Argentinians during regular play. And so I think some of it may have stemmed from that, but still not excusable. I see what you're saying, Pete. But I'm going to excuse Argentina because I've drawn them in the sweep. Good luck collecting all the entry fees, though. Hey, news up. Just while we were talking the World Cup, um, a few of the English football team have taken to social media and made a few, <clears throat> excuse me, a few comments. And of course, Harry Kane, who missed the penalty, has written, "I'm absolutely gutted. We've given it everything, and it comes down to a small detail, which I take responsibility for. There's no hiding from it. It hurts, and it'll take some time to get over it. But that's just part of sport." Marcus Rashford says, The last few weeks have been a roller coaster of emotions. Each and every one of our team gave everything we had to be ready for what was thrown at us. We got close, but not close enough. I'll make a promise that we will come again. Thank you for your unconditional support. Jude Bellingham, this one will be painful for a very long time. The better team on the night went out. That's football sometimes. Regardless, I'm so proud of the effort, fight, and performance from my teammates over the course of the whole tournament. There's just a few of the quotes from the, the players who will be, no one hurts more. I know the fans hurt, but no one will hurt more than the players involved as they reflect back on a World Cup that they got pretty damn close, really. They just one game, one goal, one moment away from the semis and then who knows. Uh, we have our moments over the weekend as well uh, when it's to do with trying to force foresee the future. We call it Show Me The Money. We do it on Thursdays. We revisit on Mondays. Show you the money. That's show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Furnish me with the details, Sam. Like I said, a lot of um, lot to uh, pick from over the weekend. It was and um, we we did dive in. Um, let's start with the bad okay. um, before we get to the good. So, firstly, um, our caller chose because you have to remind me in the uh, Argentina game. 
Argentina to win, Argentina most corners in each half, and Argentina most shots on target in each half. Right, we don't have any audio, obviously, to no. to sort of justify that, uh, but it was wrong. Uh, it did not come in, but that's okay. That's okay. We, we, we now play for pride. That's what they say. We play for pride, um, leave it all out on the park. So uh, <laughs> I'll go next, since mine was actually on Friday, and it actually, I think it might have finished up just after the show. So we knew pretty early on. Uh, how we were sitting. Uh, that was the Dallas Stars up against the. Ooh, I'm trying to remember who Ottawa that was. Senators. Ottawa Senators. I mean, this is. Which was a money winning bet from last week. It was a winning bet. You took yeah, Dallas I, last that's week. That's why I stuck with the NHL because I was like, well, I came in once, I'll do it again. Uh, no. Dallas v. Ottawa and Ottawa are terrible. Dallas scored a lot of goals, so I gave Dallas the uh, the goal start, unfortunately. They did win, but it was an overtime. Good foghorn too. Yeah, they did win, but it was an overtime, which means they didn't cover the one and a half goal Correct. spread. So uh, that one, I'll just give that a little. Um, so then we go to Captain K. And uh, Captain K, remember, backed out of his pick, uh, which was Croatia, to go through. And it was, pa- how much was it paying? It was, it was paying nine bucks. That's right, yeah. I and just knew. Yeah. I just knew, and you talked me out of it. Nah, no pointing fingers. It was my call. <laughs> it was my call. It was, it was. I was a bit scared, so I decided to go safe and pick Portugal to take down Morocco. <sighs> a Moroccan marvel. The Atlas Lions now just one more prowling step from the World Cup final itself. You're never safe in a World Cup, are you? Never, ever uh. safe. What a great piece of commentary. Peter Drury, oh, the master, the, the poet. Drury, the poet. Um, so then we come to the good news, Steph. So we're 0 from 3, <laughs> as people will know now. Uh, but we come to the good news, which was your NFL tip from Friday, or was did they play on Sunday? Uh, Sunday. They played on Sunday, uh, which was the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills to beat the... Did they play the Jets? Who'd they play on? The Jets. Yeah, the Jets. And uh, it might have come in. Needs 10 to keep it alive. Ball deflected at the line, and the Bills are going to take it. Show me the money. But uh, <laughs> really small tick. Yeah, <laughs> one really out of four. Half tick. So uh, look, not not to be this week, team. Uh, but we will go one last time for 2022 on uh, on Thursday. Um, and Should I'm looking forward to it. Well, do, can I tell you my story from the weekend, Steph? Because as we talked about Portugal there, can I tell you my embarrassing story that actually ended up being pretty good? Okay, but I'm happy to tell it. Um, so Friday night, um, it was late. I was just getting into bed, and I thought, oh, I need to just put a couple of bits on the um, World Cup in the morning. So I, um, j- I just wanted to put 10 bucks in my account, so I logged on, put, tried to put 10 bucks on. He said, oh, deposit error, you know, try again or whatever. So I was like, okay, try it again, deposit error, try again. Deposit error, I was like, must be something with my Wi-Fi. Turn my Wi-Fi off, data, deposit error, try again. So I log out, log back in, try deposit error, try again. It's just not working. So I thought, oh, screw it, I'll do, you can do bank transfer. Mm. So I did a bank transfer, 10 bucks went in, no worries. Went and had a look at some of the bets, uh, went to look at some stats on Google. Then when I went back into my TAB account, I had $160 in there. <laughs> and all the bets had gone through at once. And so all the deposits. All the deposits, went. yeah. They were just delayed. delayed. And so I had the choice in front of me, because you can't withdraw your deposits. You can only withdraw your, your winnings. I had the choice in front of me of, do I, do I get in touch with them and you know, go through that whole process, which is probably going to take a couple of days. It was a Friday night, so not going to happen until Monday. Or do I punt the 160? <laughs> so what did I do? I punted the 160 on the one I thought was the most sure of the weekend, Portugal to beat Morocco. No! At like $1.60 or whatever it was. 
and uh, yeah, got the big fat, uh, felt one of these. Oh, the, the, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I thought, uh, yeah, I was obviously down in the dumps, and, and on Sunday, I and, and I'm trying not to reveal too much information here, but I had a, a small amount of money in my bank account, and I thought, do I just put that on something crazy and see if I can get something in? So I looked in the power plays, England v France, and I found Harry Kane to get a shot in both halves, and England to get three shots in each half at uh, 26 bucks. And put 10 bucks on that, and it came in. So, show me the money! So, show me the money! Show me the money. That's money. a great ending. It's a great ending to a very, very bad story. Um, <laughs> and then you quickly withdrew before Katie finds out. 100%. Nah, it's back in the account now, and I'm <laughs> way spending. Um, the funny thing is, like that, uh, Captain K was saying as well, he looked up the stats. Like getting three shots and a half, I, I just looked at it and thought, oh, hey, that sounds like a pretty good tip. So I put on, when you go on the crunch the numbers, like three shots and a half is actually quite rare. Like they don't actually get that. It's on target, obviously. They don't get that many. So I actually very, very surprised it came in. Harry Kane, you know, he got a couple of shots in the first half, then his penalty counts as a shot on target. So it worked out okay. But um, you'll be surprised how, you know, those things look very juicy. Sometimes it says, you know, two yellow cards in the first half. And you think, oh, yeah, that'll happen. But it's like really rare. Mm. So, yeah, they get you. Can I just finish with a fact of the day? Yeah, I'll go on. That that I researched yesterday, actually. Mm. Corners in football. Yep. How many corners result in goals as a percentage? Oh, I feel like I've heard this somewhere. I'm going to say... My my head, my heart says thirty percent. My head says ten percent. Okay, because you know when there's a corner awarded and there's time up and you need yep. the draw, and yep. everyone's going, "We got a corner!" and everyone in the crowd's going, "This is our chance." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less than two percent. Wow. Less than two percent conversion from a corner, and that includes an ugly clear out and then a goal. Wow. Less than two percent. That's one in fifty corners you get a goal. Don't get see, excited yeah, for just, corners. But see, you, yeah, that's one thing you just wouldn't know, right? You'd think, oh, corner opportunity. You know, we're cooking with gas, but mm. funny, yeah, when you dig into the stats, it's quite remarkable. It is. Uh, we're going to have a break because we have the voice of Iron Man. Uh, he's the voice of Iron Man New Zealand, but he's voice of Iron Man around the world. A 40-year career, he's hung up the mic with the latest Iron Man in Taupo. His name is Mike Riley. He's still in New Zealand. I think he's leaving tonight. We're very lucky to have him on. Anyone that knows anything about Iron Man knows Mike Riley. He'll be here after the break. It's Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Just struggling to get through to Mike Riley at the moment. Um, it's going straight to voicemail, but uh, we're going to try him on a different on a different system. Uh, WhatsApp through the studio, which could be kind of interesting. I'm just watching his WhatsApp to see if he's online or not. But this guy's, um, oh, well, he's, a, he's an icon of the sport. Um, and I sort of relate him. He's sort of like Michael Buffer of boxing and Bruce Buffer of the UFC, like uh, a voice synonymous with Iron Man and endurance events around the world. So uh, we are trying our very best to get him to get him up for you. Um, Cookie's text and saying, "Hey, Steph, Ree Eddie Jones. I would have thought he would have had a restraint of trade in his contract. Seems strange he could potentially take all that IP to another country pre World Cup if he's sacked early." because he has been sacked early, can they put a restraint of trade on him? If you resign, they can. I don't know if they sack you. I don't know if they sack you, they can. So uh, we will keep across that. But we have got through to the great man now. He's, gosh, he's been around the event uh, of um, endurance sports for a long, long time, over 1,000 events, over 200 Ironman since 1989. Mike Riley, really appreciate you talking to us uh, today, Mike. Uh, And I think you're departing New Zealand today. 
<laughs> uh, did I what today? Are you departing New Zealand today? Yes, I am. I, I'm, you know, I'm very sad that it was my last Ironman, but I'm even sadder that I have to leave this beautiful country. You've been a big part of Ironman and Taupo here in New Zealand for a long time, Mike, and, and events around the world. Can you differentiate for us or or maybe um, identify what's different about the Ironman in New Zealand to, to the other parts of the world? Oh, I, it, it, it's, there's no doubt it's the people. I mean, when you come here, especially to Taupo, they understand endurance. They understand performance and they just they just enamor the Ironman. It's like coming home to a family. That's what it is. You you come to Topo and you're part of the Ironman family here in the community and they accept everything with open arms. Uh, so it's almost like the, the community is running alongside the athletes when they're out there competing. That's as close as I can put it. And when when I'm here and, and doing what I do, uh, they they just they just appreciate it more than anybody I know. Mike, I previewed in the show earlier today that we were getting you on for a chat, and we had a guy called Brett, and he's from Huntley, and uh, which is probably a couple of hours north of Taupo, and he's done three Ironmans, and you've called him in for all of them. And he regaled the story of his very first Ironman, and he was about a K away from the finishing shoot, and he was all at sea, didn't know if he'd make it, and he said, but the knowledge that Mike Riley was going to call him in five hours after the first guys had been in, but you wait for him there, that got him home. That's an awesome story. Yeah, there's, it's, you know, Mark, they're, they're out there working hard and they want to get to the finish line. And, and I guess I've been that, I've been that pillar. I've been that, that, that strength that they know is going to be waiting for them. And there's only one thing I want to do is I want to congratulate them and tell the world that they're an Ironman. And they know, they know that's going to happen and it's going to happen every time. That's why I, that's why you are an Ironman are the four greatest words in sport. If you think about it, there's no other four words in sport that can do for an athlete what those words do. And so since I'm the voice and since I'm the person saying it, sure, they're looking for Mike Riley, but what they're looking for is an affirmation that they're a new person when they come across the finish line. They, they evolved into someone greater than they thought they could ever be. And, and, I, and I witnessed that all the time. 200 plus Ironmans uh, since 1989. The, I was going to say this is going to be a hard question, but it's probably easy because you've been asked it before. Can you give us, we, we hear all about the elite athletes. We, we hear the winners. We hear the record times. But there's some really touching um, life hurdles being jumped by competing and finishing in Ironmans. Can you share with us maybe one or two that will stick with you? Sure, Sarah Reinerson came to Ironman, Ironman Hawaii. She she was uh, born with one leg, and she trained and trained and trained. But when she came, she missed the bike cutoff by like five minutes, and it was devastating. Here we wanted to have the first female amputee finish an Ironman, and she was just a beautiful person. Well, she didn't let that get her down. She 
created a motto for herself and she called it unfinished business. She actually had it painted on the side of her bike. And for a solid year, for, yeah, and for a solid year, solid year, she just kept training and she came back and she finished that darn event. And bringing her in, knowing that she had failed and knowing that it, it, it didn't stop her, all of a sudden she came to the finish line. It was an incredible story. Oh, amazing story! That is an amazing story. And I, all, hey, I hear, yeah, I hear the other guy on there. Yeah, sorry, we've just got two two lines going at the once. We'll, we'll turn one off. Sorry about that, buddy. Um, right. age, age groupers are a, are a special a special part of Iron Man too, aren't they? Oh, they're they're everything. They are the they are the heart and soul of Iron Man. These are people that hold down full-time jobs, try to keep families strong, try to keep themselves training all the time and juggling so many things. So when they come to the finish line and I bring in the, the, the 52 old mo- mother of, of four that has finished an Ironman, my gosh, they're, they're, it's just as good as the elite and professional athletes. The same thing to me. Yeah, I mentioned to Brent when he called actually that the elite athletes, I don't know what a good time is. Let's say it's nine hours and, and then you've got these age groupers and these first timers are doing it for 15 hours. And and Brent said he spoke to Terenzo Boizoni who, who was in the Ironman and he told him it took him 15 hours. And he said, mate, if I had to do it for 15 hours, I wouldn't finish. This this is a, like an unworldly commitment of effort. Um, I know there's a lot of training that goes into it. And I love that you single out every single person as special as they cross the line. And I get that feeling that I'm they sorry, can't... I'm only hearing Glenn. <laughs> sorry that they can hear you saying I'm only hearing Glenn. Okay, yeah. sorry about that, mate. Yeah, I'm just talking about the age groupers um and, and how important they are. But you still take the time to individually recognize everyone as important as each other. Well, remember everybody Everybody has a backstory. Everybody has a story and, uh, of having to jump hurdles in life to just, to just to get through life. And so when I bring in those age groupers that have overcome all odds, even some of them where their families have said, you don't want to do that. That's too tough. Don't do that. Why would you want to do an Ironman? When they know in their heart that if they do something like that, they're going to create a better person. It's not about crossing the finish line. It's about who you become. And I see, I've seen people transform overnight when they come across the finish line. Because no matter how the rest of their life goes, no matter how the rest of their life goes, they'll always be an Ironman and they'll be able to fall back on that to keep moving forward. Oh, look, it's absolutely brilliant, Mike. I, I really appreciate you talking to us today and on behalf of all the Iron Man and endurance athletes, not only yeah, in New it's Zealand, just, but it's around the world. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm hearing two voices. Okay. Could the booth stop talking, please? Okay, Mike, I, I really want to take the time to thank you so much for, for joining us today. You've been a big part of Ironman New Zealand um, and a big part of Ironman around the world. We wish you a wonderful, relaxing retirement, and I know you're gonna, your grandkids are going to love it and you're going to love them. Uh, thank you once again. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and thank you for uh, promoting Ironman and, and what I believe is the greatest sport there is. Perfect, Mike. Uh, go well. Thank you so much. 
Okay. Aloha. Aloha to Mike. Um, fantastic to talk to Mike Riley, an absolute uh, icon of uh, multi-sport around the world and Ironman, as you say, and people were saying, and like Brett said, like you get called in. He tells every single participant, you are an Ironman. You are an Ironman. It's just, it's brilliant. And I've actually, I have watched one in Taupo a long, long, long time ago. Um, and it's, you stand there. We went down quite late. We watched the winners come across and went back to the batch. And then four hours later, we said, let's go back. Let's go back and watch the others. And there's all ages, shapes, sizes, the whole lot. It was, it was inspiring, you know. And even just talking to Brett from Huntley, who called up before, you can, you can hear him talking, but you can hear him hear him smiling and talking. And it's, you know, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do an Ironman one uh, show next week, actually, and get people to ring up and tell us about your experiences of what you've overcome and and your training schedules. And Brett's done a little bit of that for us. And I, I just find it so inspiring that someone. I find it inspiring someone can run a marathon. Run a marathon after that epic swim. Run a marathon after, is it a 180k bike? Then run a marathon? Get out of here. It's, it's an amazing victory of human spirit and dedication. And anyone out there that's done an Ironman or a half Ironman or a marathon as well, even a marathon on its own, a half marathon, they're all huge hurdles. I, I know someone who'd never run in their life and they did a 5k and they and they burst into tears at the end because that's a victory for yourself and it's a victory over yourself for a lot of them and I know that's the the vehicle that Ironman plays for for a lot of people so he's a huge part of Ironman and he'll be sadly missed and um, I was going to say be hard shoes to fill but some shoes are never filled there'll be another pair of shoes who will stand in next to where Mike Riley was but you don't often get someone with the imprint of him on people's lives and events right around the world. So really appreciate Mike Riley having time to, to spend with us today. And as I say, over a thousand events, endurance events, over 40 years, 200 plus Ironmans. And he's been doing that for 23 years. It's just amazing. And when, when you heard him speak affectionately of New Zealand and say it's like coming back to a family, really resonates with me. So Mike Riley, travel well. Thank you for joining us here on the show today and uh, thank you for everything you've done in the world of endurance sports. We'll take new sport and weather and we'll come back with Glenn Ashby from Team New Zealand. Well, a lot of people have never gone over 200 kilometres in a car with an engine running on petrol, but uh, our next guest has just been in a vehicle, no petrol, no engine, just wind. It's just a marvel of science that Glenn Ashby from Team New Zealand has just broken the world record for a wind-assisted vehicle. Uh, remarkable effort. Glenn Ashby joins us now. G'day, Glenn. Yeah, g'day. How's it all going? It doesn't quite make sense, does it? doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, sometimes it's a bit hard to get your head around. You sort of think, you know, you should be just blowing across the ground at the same speed as the uh, the wind's travelling. But what we've actually got is a basically an aeroplane wing flying vertically that, um, you know, with the air flowing around it creates uh, creates lift. And the faster you get travelling, the more power it creates until you reach your terminal velocity 
yeah, hopefully faster than the last guy. <laughs> so I was watching a video of you um, attempting and then setting the record. It looked like I would imagine you'd want a constant wind speed, but it looked quite puffy. Uh, yes. Look, yesterday was extremely puffy and extremely shifty, so not the perfect or the ideal conditions by any any stretch of the imagination. We actually had uh, yeah any, anywhere between sort of nine knots and twenty seven knots within about a, a, a you know thirty second period. So it was really puffy and shifty, and made my life pretty tricky behind the wheel. That's for sure. And it's an unusual looking craft, as as you would expect, but. Um... You've just got the one arm out the side and nothing on the left. There's a lot of trust that the puff's not going to turn around because you'd be you'd be a over kite. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're definitely set up to sort of travel quickly in in one direction where we're fully set up asymmetrically. So, um, yeah, there there was some really really uh, big puffs that came through yesterday and. Um, yeah, had sort of a couple of, uh, you know, sort of near wobbles and uh, almost a capsize at one point where, you know, got caught in a bit of a willy-willy, uh, which came across where you can't actually see the wind coming across a salt surface. On the water, you can see what's coming, but on a salt surface, you're simply uh, reacting to what's coming across. So it's, um, yeah, really, really interesting as to uh, how you sail a craft well, but um, certainly not the uh, smoothest conditions yesterday to set the record. Now, it was called Project Speed. My biggest question about it was, uh, why? Is it, like, it's awesome to have a world record, but it wouldn't have been an inexpensive project. So what was the whole basis behind doing it? Yeah, basically, you know, post the America's Cup event itself, there's always a little bit of a lull and a bit of a hiatus um, and a bit of a dip in, um, you know, obviously the design, the production and engineering of the team going forward. So this project was a wonderful opportunity to sort of take external resources, if you like, bring them into the team, uh, which included funding and actually bridge the gap, if you like, with a really cool, innovative technological project that was uh, supported, you know, largely by uh, companies all throughout New Zealand and also around the world. And basically that project itself has enabled, um, you know, uh, contracts to be signed, um, employees to be employed with Emirates Team New Zealand. And really for us as a team, not to lose our employees to other countries and other teams. So um, it's about IP retention, but it's also about raising the bar as well and actually pushing limits that have never been pushed before and ultimately really that's actually the strength of Emirates Team New Zealand is the fact that the team can push super hard where where other teams sometimes fall down. Is any of the technological discoveries from this project transferable to the water? Yeah, look, there's a lot of crossovers between what we've been doing here um, and the water. Obviously, with the foiling boats these days, you know, aerodynamics play a huge part in in the ultimate performance of the yacht. So what we've been able to learn sort of aerodynamically and and often looking outside the square um, is a great way of actually looking for gains in in other areas that sort of filter down into the America's Cup sailing itself. So it's, um, you know, it's a great challenge and it sort of puts not only myself, but a lot of other people that have been involved with the project sort of out of your usual comfort zone. And and sometimes what you learn out of your comfort zone, you know, makes you feel more comfortable when you see things out out of the ordinary. And just looking at that record itself, um, how much bravery and how much fear was there? Because your bum is literally inches above the ground. So 222 clicks probably feels more like 300. Were there... 
sweaty moments? Uh, definitely some sweaty moments. It gets pretty warm in the cabin when you put the lid down and you're not moving. But um, yeah, look, it's uh, it's one of those ones that, you know, it's like sailing on an America's Cup class AC75 yacht. Initially, if you just look at it, it looks really fast and really, really hairy and exciting. But when you build yourself up slowly, you do your testing, you do your homework well, you do get used to it. But it is absolutely sailing on steroids. Um, it's super fast. Um, your reaction times have to be really, really quick. And it's basically using every single skill and experience that I've had over the years, be it through motorcycling, car driving, sailing and flying. It's all those uh, feelings and experiences rolled into one and you definitely need to be on your game to, to make sure you get the performance out of the craft and also uh, keep the wheels on the ground and the rig in the air. So that puffy wind up to a max of 27, I guess the average is about 20k, something like that. And I, I remember from the America's Cup days, there was an optimal wind speed that once it got above you can't go any faster. What would be the optimal wind speed for this craft? And are you going to give it another crack? Uh, yeah, look, I'd, I'd love to give it another crack sort of early next year if I ideally could. We weren't expecting to go as well as we did yesterday, which was a, a fantastic achievement for, for the team here at the lake and also the wider team at Emirates Team New Zealand. The, the, look, to be honest, the ultimate wind speed for me would be above 30 knots if, if we could get it. I'd love to sail in 40 knots if I could. Maybe I'm a bit mad, but <laughs> I'd take it if I could get it. But we'll, I'd love to push it to the point where I scare myself to the point that I never want to sit in the thing again. Jeez, I'm looking forward to that video. <laughs> Make sure you get a little <laughs> GoPro in the cockpit. <laughs> will do. <laughs> hey, Thanks, Glenn, mate. congratulations, world record holder. Um, Mum and Dad will be proud. Uh, your friends and your and your teammates will be proud. Not often you set a new world record, but you, you've got it. You've got it. Yeah, thanks, mate. No, we're all really pleased, and it's been a great team effort. It's uh, You certainly can't do this by yourself, that's for sure. Brilliant. Glenn Ashby, well done. Thanks for chatting. Cheers. There he is, Glenn Ashby, <clears throat> New Zealand's newest world record holder. Um, 222 clicks in 20Ks. Imagine what he can do in 30Ks. Do you multiply it by 10? Can he do 300 clicks? I think not. I think not. Whew, that's an amazing record, an amazing record. If you want to play the vault, call 0800 150 811. $500 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. 0800 150 811. Call now. Three questions, one answer. Can you crack the vault? We're into our ninth day. For some, this is an infuriating vault. For others, it's infuriating they can't get through. The lines lit up. We've got ten lines. They took a little bit longer to fill than in the past, actually. So uh, spin the wheel back in the hot box. Who have we got calling oh, number? Captain K. Number six. Number six, which I think is Matt down in Blenheim. Matt from Blenheim. I feel sorry for Matt from New Plymouth. He probably just thought, oh, it's me, but it's not. It's Matt in Blenheim. G'day, Matt. How you guys, Steffi? Good, Matt. Confidence levels? I'm going to be like the last guy. I think I've got one thing. If it's not that, then it's going to jackpot again. Okay, Matt, well, what, what did we say? 450? 500? 500. Woo! 500 TRB bonus bet up for grabs. Your first question is what? Does it involve Daryl Tuffy? 
That's a question for Sam. Daryl Tuffy. It's not a question for me. Daryl Tuffy, how do you spell Tuffy? <laughs> They're my handy towels. Yeah. Um, Matt, it does involve Daryl Tuffy. Oh! Here we go. Here we go. You get another question. Does it involve the length of the first over of the match? Doesn't involve the length of the first over of the match. I love watching Sam. The number, the n- n- number of deliveries. Okay. Does it involve the number of deliveries in that over? Now I'm going to say yes, Matt, and I think I know. You, I think you know the answer. But isn't doesn't every over in cricket involve the length of an over in cricket? <laughs> He's trying. I'm to th- asking about that specific over. <laughs> yes, he's trying to throw you out, I reckon. Yeah, no, I'll say yes for for, the, for this particular case. <laughs> yes. Final question. Um, if you need it, I don't know. If I, I, I don't know if I really need it. No, nah, I want. I want. I want a third question out of you, Matt. I want a third question out of you. Right. Does it involve? Does it involve? Does, does it involve the number of extras? Involved by Daryl Tuffy in the first over of the game. It does involve a, a few extras, some might say. Now you guess. Right. Time for a guess. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now remember, Matt, the vault is very picky. <laughs> Sam. The vault is picky, my friend. So give us, give us your answer. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, Australia versus New Zealand at Eden Park. In February 2005, where what was, what, was the weather, what was the weather doing that day, Matt? <laughs> oh, it, was a clear, it was a clear day. <laughs> yeah. They managed to get a full game in, um, 50 overs each side, or actually 41.5 for New Zealand. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Daryl Tuffy opened the game up, and uh, he managed to bowl a 14 delivery over. In which included uh, four no balls and four wides, um, and 15 runs were scored before the second legitimate delivery. Gee, I tell you That's what, that, very specific, Matt. Very specific. Be unfortunate if you're wrong. Let's uh, punch it into the vault and see what we've got. That's it, open. <laughs> Two balls, 15 for no loss. <laughs> if you have just tuned in, there's been a few wides and no balls. And another one. Dear, oh dear. Well, Fleming's already once taken a bit of a stroll down to have a chat, try and settle his nerves, just give him the basics, and he's probably saying, look, just forget holding it down the seam, hold it across the seam so there's nothing through the air for you. Last ball of the over. And well left by Gilchrist. 16 for none, Australia. Matt from Blenheim. You've just won a $500 TAB bonus, man! Oh, we've done it! We've done, done it! it. Oh, oh, Matt. Oh, it's been pa- it's been painful but enjoyable, enjoyable uh, for nine I'm, days. I'm glad I didn't get through last week. Did you have a few guesses that were wide of the mark? Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. First of all, I thought it was Roscoe skippering in McLean Park in 2010, and then I thought it was Pat's getting hit in the head in the same game of this one. Oh. But uh, yeah, glad 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 other people whittled it down for me. So thanks to the 
the eight or nine that went before me. Uh, team effort, I reckon. Team, <laughs> team effort, effort. Matt, across the station. But, uh, Steph, I, I'm not gonna, I'm going to admit it. I, I'm very surprised it actually took that long. When I put this one together, I thought, oh, you know, it'll, it'll be tough. But I'm thinking four or five days tough. But we, we so pushed the boat right see, out. The, the clue I wanted to give that Sam wouldn't allow me to give was I wanted, to, I wanted someone to twig on it's not necessarily a good sporting moment or one that you'd celebrate. So yeah. there, there's the yeah, lesson. That's what, that's what led me astray with the Roscoe one. I thought it might have been because I thought you'd be looking for something to celebrate, but this is certainly not what we want to celebrate. <laughs> well, the other um, one, the other one as well, but, Steph, that we that we talked about just off air early doors was the the one question that I think would have blown it open, which was, is does it involve a bowler or a bat? You know, does it involve a bowler or a batter? Once you knew it was a bowler. There's not that many highlights of that sort of time. So, no. you know, batting everyone thinks, like you said, Roscoe and Paps getting hit in the head, etc. If you know it was a bowler, I reckon we might have got there quicker. But here we are, Steph, 500 buckaroos. There we are, Matt. What's he going to put it on? Yes. I tell you what, Matt, when you, as, as you whittle your way through this, just text us in, text this show, and tell us what you've invested on because, as you say, it's a team effort and everyone will ride the bet with you. Yeah, right. I'll have to have a good think about this. Don't want to go blowing it like, if norm, like I normally do. I'll, I'll, so I'll, it's, it's, not, it's, not really, it's not a wee $50 one. It's a $500 one. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, no, we'll preface it. Though. I think it's going to come through in the form of 50s, Matt. So you'll have the opportunity to, to, oh, to scatter your net far and wide. Oh, that gives me a bit of relief, actually. What, what a Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you'd bloody do a $500 on Portugal. And no, yeah, don't, yeah, bring that, don't bring that back. <laughs> it's PTSD. Just yeah. it on Morocco. Yeah, there you go. Jeez. Well, put, a, put one of the 50s on them, surely. <laughs> then you could put buy, a free 50 you could, net. You could buy the station. <laughs> or, the, or the country of Morocco, probably. Yeah, good on you, Matt. Champion. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Matt from Blenheim. He finally opened the vault. Oh, someone who should not be named. Jeez, imagine if the vault question was about a match-fixing incident. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> imagine. Yeah. And, and a TAB prize attached. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, I tell you what, though, there'll be a lot of people kicking themselves out there who probably feel they had that last week, didn't get through. We did get someone text, people text through, through, and I'm thinking it's possibly Tim because he's just texted through, God damn it! Yeah, so and I think a couple of people knew it was that from a wee way away. Yeah, I um, it's just the way the nature of the game, Steph. Not everyone can get through, understand it. But hey, we got some good news. What is it? We go again tomorrow, Hundy. New vault, Hundy Bucks starts tomorrow. Is it going to be hard Eat like hard this out. one? It's Christmas. We can't let it be too hard because it's got to go oh, by the end of the week. What if we have to hold it over? No, <laughs> hold it over no, to late please. Jan. No, God, no. Hold it over to late Jan. How about that? No, no. We'll, we'll pick something. I actually thought what we could do, Steph, is, and I don't know if people are going to enjoy this, but we could do Tuesday, Thursday. We're just getting questions in the can. Then on Friday, we keep going until someone gets it. Oh, I see. If yeah. they get it tomorrow, well and good. Oh, of course. If they get of it course. Thursday, well and good. And of Friday, course. we'll just keep going. Yeah, we'll just keep going until someone picks it up. Keep going. And yep. they get three, dump them. Next person, Correct. three, dump them. Yep. Oh, that's an exciting Friday. And it's going to be a little bit earlier on Friday, just for forewarn, because from 2 to 140. 4. 1.40. Yeah, it'll be 1.40 Friday. But tomorrow will be 2.40. Someone else guessed it was Paps getting hit in the head twice and coming from the field, Kane. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Exciting. Had a few messages through about the chat with Mike Riley. They did enjoy that, but there's one in particular I wanted to read. It's come out of Australia, and it says, Hey, guys, enjoyed that Ironman guy. I can relate to being a non-runner who turned into someone who loves it. 
When I moved to the Gold Coast, I started on a life change. I lost 80 kilos. I ran a 5K event, then a 10K, then a half marathon, then two full marathons. Four hours, 42. But I'm very proud of it. Ran another few half marathons, one with my wife, who had also lost 30Ks. That was emotional. Also had one corporate boxing fight, and that was confronting. I just wanted to share with your listeners to show others anything is possible. If I did it, so can many others. Well, from the Gold Coast, I applaud you, champion. Uh, thank you for sending that in. What an amazing, amazing turnaround for your good self. And congratulations to you and your wife. Phenomenal. We'll come up, new sport and weather. We're at three o'clock. Tell me at what cost I'll find the ticket ride. I'll be waiting for the perfect time. Sometimes with a look in my eyes, I'll be gliding through these dreams of mine. Once right, step out of line, I'll be waiting. Waiting, I see what Is that a FIFA tune? Is that a FIFA tune? Don't get that. Anyway, um, before we carry on, I just wanted to tip my hat to the Women's Sevens win over there in Cape Town, beating Australia in the final 31-14. They're up about 26-0, I think 21-0 at half-time. Five tries to the New Zealanders, two to Australia. Player of the match, Tyler Nathan Wong, got two tries and a whole bunch of conversions. And they now sit atop equal with Australia on 38 each, uh, both with a win and a second from uh, the UAE round and the South African round. Uh, USA, on the back of two third placings, are sitting third at 32. Um, Remarkable from the Blackfern Sevens when you consider the players that aren't there. And what did I see when I watched... I watched a lot of that tournament. Um, didn't get to see the final, but I did catch some highlights on it not long ago, was the youngsters. And I'm talking youngsters, like 18, 19, given their opportunity. And when youngsters get that opportunity, they, if they take it, I think it's tremendous. When you've got the likes of Sarah Hidney, Portia Woodman, um, Stacey Flula not participating, so you're forced to take three youngsters in there and to win a world title on the world stage, a world series title, I should say, on the world stage, I thought simply remarkable and beautifully led by Tyler Nathan Wong. And they will come back now, and I'm just trying to find where their next tournament is. If I just go to the next year, and it doesn't tell me. So there you go. Um, but, yeah, fantastic effort by them, uh, the Blackfern Sevens. And the men, also fantastic effort by them who have... Struggled a little bit in recent times, but they came back with a nice uh, second-place finish in their tournament. Right, we are counting down the top. No, not the top. The biggest. The biggest. And there's a little bit of an insight. It's not all good news. It's not all uh, world records and all that sort of thing. It's just the the biggest sporting moments of 2022. We played you number 10 in the last hour, about an hour and a half ago. 
about an hour and a half ago, which was the Black Caps uh, beating Australia in game one of the T20 World Cup. If you missed it, you can go back. Anything you want to hear back, it's all on the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, But here is number nine. The biggest sporting moments of 2022. Number nine. There's a moment in your bones when, when the fire takes over. Kiwis have a long, proud history in the sport of Formula One. Names like Bruce McLaren, Chris Amon, Denny Holm. That proves that our drivers have what it takes to take on the best in the world. But more recently, the Formula One Championship has become one of the toughest sports in the world to crack. Each year, only 20 drivers across the hundreds of thousands worldwide get the opportunity to race in one of motorsport's most glamorous competitions. Considering the money in the sport, it's no wonder that our small island nation has slowly drifted away from the Formula One map. But this year, thanks to young Kiwi Liam Lawson, we may just have our ticket back in. Of course, we had Brendan Hartley back in 2017, but the buzz around Lawson is palpable. Red Bull team boss Christian Horner constantly praised the Kiwi throughout the 2022 season, in particular when he picked up his first win. Yes, yes, we have. Very, very, very good job. What a race, what a race. Yes, boys. Thank you, guys. Thank you very, very much. Once you settle down, kid, you're going to be epic and epic. So well done. I'm so proud of you. I think he's, he's doing a great job. He's an exciting young talent. He's a very versatile driver, whether he's in a in a tin top or a single seater, and that's always a good sign. A driver that can adapt quickly to whatever car they've got at their disposal. And you know, we've been very impressed with him in the simulator and you know what he's done, you know, in, in Formula One so far. So we're keeping a very close eye on him and uh, he's got a big opportunity this year. His rapid rise culminated in the chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to drive in the world champion Max Verstappen's car. Although he had test-driven the Alpha Tori throughout 2022, this was a clear signal of how highly the Pukekoa racer was held within the Red Bull ranks. Now, with just one race left in the 2022 season, not only had Red Bull wrapped up the F1 Constructors' Championship, proving they had the best and fastest car in Formula 1, but Max Verstappen had dominated an F1 season like no other, winning 14 of the 21 races so far. Now, Liam Lawson who had been plying his trade in Formula 2, would be given the opportunity to drive Max Verstappen's championship-winning car in the final Grand Prix of the season in Abu Dhabi. He was handed the controls of the RB18 during free practice, and in an impressive display, Lawson put in the fifth fastest lap time of the first practice session, finishing just over half a second behind seven-time World Championship winner Lewis Hamilton but ahead of Formula World Champion Sebastian Vettel. He was so excited, he even forgot how to pit. The worst thing you want to do is, you know, is to make a silly mistake. And uh, Do that's, not so crash. Here we go. This is what I was saying earlier. Yeah. He, he nearly missed a pit box. Can we push? Sorry, I'm used to driving further down. <laughs> a few, a <laughs> they few, don't look so impressed, do they? <laughs> a few grins there, but uh, I think they can be forgiven that one. That's not so bad. Uh, but ultimately, it was the opportunity he had always dreamed of.
Uh, yeah, really, really cool. Obviously, cool experience for me. Um, first time officially in the Red Bull, so um, was a little bit nervous, honestly, before the session, but um, the car's obviously really, really good. So straight away, I felt pretty comfortable. Um, I had quite a lot of laps today, which was good as well. We did, obviously, quite a few on the hards and then changing to the soft at the end. Um, and honestly, yeah, like I said, I felt I felt really good. So I would love to have another go. <laughs> After what I found, there's a big jump from hard to soft in terms of lap time. So getting ready for that was was a bit tough. But overall, I think it was a, a good session. It was a drive that received rave reviews from fans and pundits. But more importantly, Red Bull team boss Christian Horner. It's something that Red Bull have always believed in is investing in youth and young talent. And that's whether it's drivers or engineers or technicians or designers. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got a strong stable of, of youngsters. And Liam is percolating to the top of that, um, uh, you know, crop of junior drivers that we have. So he's going to be banging on the door for an opportunity in Formula One next year. And the world champion himself, Max Verstappen. I was right to be honest. I think the car was in a good window. I think Liam did a very good job in FP1, you know, just calm and, and steady. So that's all, all what we want, right? It may not seem like a big moment to many in the New Zealand sporting landscape, but getting a crack in one of the toughest sports on earth with one of the most prolific and successful teams is well and truly an unbelievable achievement for a young Kiwi and worthy of number nine on our biggest sporting moments of 2022. Yes, an incredible achievement from Liam Lawson. There's number 10 and number 9. We'll have 8 and 7 for you tomorrow, building down to number 1 on Friday. We're going to take a break, and on the other side, we're going to talk to Sydney Morning Herald writer Tom Decent. We'll talk rugby. We'll talk cricket. He's next. Time to head across the Tasman now with a wonderful journalist. He's from the Sydney Morning Herald. We're going to talk a little bit of rugby about the Eddie Jones and First of all, I want to talk a bit about the cricket. Tom, welcome in. G'day, how's it going? Very, very well, thank you. Um, even on this side of the Tasman, the David Warner situation has created a lot of talk back and a lot of uh, discussion over this side of the ditch. I, I would imagine that it's probably been put to bed, but what a messy bed it was. Oh, very much so. I think David Warner coming out on the eve of the test was all sorts of distractions on a number of different fronts. He felt the need to come out and say that he'd basically given up of trying to ever become captain of Australia or any team for that matter within Australian cricket. Um, it exploded in the first couple of days of the test. It didn't have a massive impact on the on the results or how the team went, uh, given that they were emphatic in a victory over the Windies. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly um, has caused a major stir over here and as you say, a lot of discussion as to whether Cricket Australia in the right or the wrong or how that process played out. Has he got any sympathisers over there in Australia? For David Warner? Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, like I think the majority of people would say that he's done his time. I mean, you've got to remember that David Warner, it was his idea um, to, to do what they did in Cape Town, but Steve Smith was the captain of that side. Steve Smith captained Australia um, against the Windies in the most recent test, and it was Cameron Bancroft who actually had the sandpaper in his pocket. So, uh, you know, Steve Smith came out yesterday in the press and said that he felt that it was fundamentally wrong that anyone would be banned for life or something uh, around leadership roles in the future. So, yeah, there are a lot of people who do sympathise with Warner. Um, the guy's in the twilight of his career. He's offered so much to Australian cricket, but yet 
um, there was a bit of a blundered process there from Cricket Australia and how that all played out. So, yeah, there is sympathy. What about the stance that a lot of people say he should just be grateful that he's allowed to even play? Because we've seen Pakistani cricketers jailed for for um, cheating in cricket. Um, it just sounds like he, and this is just from me, it doesn't sound like he's been grateful at all just to have the opportunity. Oh, the Pakistani cricketers, though, were, were match-fixing, which I would argue is a very, very different um, kettle of fish to ball tampering. There were guys in that South African team that they played who ball tampered and, mm. um, you know, they only received one match bans and are allowed to play. The reality is that cricket teams for a long, long time have tried to artificially, you know, do things to the ball and, and not get caught. And unfortunately, the Australians got caught in a big way. But I think that's a little bit over the top to sort of say that he should never play again because you could roll off the list of players who've been done for ball tampering. You know, maybe not to that sort of brazen extent, but... Um, yeah, and you got to remember it wasn't Warner either who had the, the sandpaper in his pocket. So we could be arguing should Tamu Bancroft have had a life ban, you know. So I think it's pretty harsh ultimately. Is part of the 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 amount of heat in the conversation because it is David Warner? Um, yeah, possibly. I think I think though the issue is that it's not going away because the whole story of what happened that day has not been explained. I mean, Steve Smith has spoken a bit at length, but David Warner and his team and management believe there's a, a far greater picture to this and who knew what on that day. The fast bowlers have all come out and said that they didn't believe they had any knowledge of, of what went on. So there's a sense that David Warner is cooking up either a book or a documentary or something later when he retires to sort of blow the lid on what actually happened that day. Um, yeah, I think people in hindsight might have I can understand that it was blown a little bit out of proportion at the time when it happened relative to other things that happened. But, look, David Warner had to spend a year away from the game, which is pretty hard to do. He's come back, played his, played his cricket, and he just inquired whether he could be, you know, captain again of a team and, and get his leadership in capacity in some way, shape or form to help some younger guys out, but that hasn't come to fruition. So if the sandpaper thing had never happened, and it's hard to remove that from our minds, do you feel like he is a prime candidate to Captain Australia? Maybe not necessarily. Um, yeah, it's sort of hard to know. I think if Sandpaper didn't happen, Steve Smith probably remains captain, given that they're a, a similar age. Smith is slightly younger than David Warner. So I don't think he probably would have captained Australia, but there is a sense that for the shorter form stuff, I know Aaron Finch has filled that role um, admirably for a number of years before walking away. Um, so maybe in some of the shorter form stuff, I know he's, you know, Warner's had captaincy experience over in the IPL and I see he's got a very astute cricket mind. So look, it's, yeah, it's, it's more the, it's more the, the you know, the, the process of, of him being allowed to do it rather than sort of it all happening. Before we leave cricket, actually, slightly different subject. I was talking to Maddie White, who's a host of um, our sister station over in Australia, and I talked to him about the impact of the approach that the England cricket team are now taking to test cricket. And as I suggested to him, the greatest cricket foes, the biggest cricket rivalry in the world is the Ashes. It is England-Australia. Has that whet the appetite even more for Aussie cricket fans about the next time you take on England with this whole new approach? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got to remember that Australia has had a lot of success against England in Ashes series, but uh, you know, recently over in England, that hasn't been the case. Australia drew the 2019 series 
they retained the Ashes but didn't actually win that series. And they haven't won a series in England since 2001. So the next series is next year in England, obviously, and England were diabolically bad last summer in Australia. So um, that's a thing for Australian shores. But over in England, yeah, like it has wet the appetite. This England team have been revitalised and re-energised and are playing a brand of cricket that few people thought was possible at test level. It's coming off. Um, the big question is whether it will come off on the biggest occasion of all and the ashes against an attack. Um, it's pretty good and, and we'll be you know asking plenty of questions of those guys. But look, fascinating series to come. I think that'll be absolutely top level stuff next year. And the amazing thing is I was thinking Ben Stokes as an Englishman uh, is about as an Australian cricketer as you can get, but he's playing for England. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know what the public perception is of Ben Stokes over here, but I think they admire his fighting qualities and what, obviously what happened in that innings in 2019 Ashes was just absolutely ridiculous. So there is respect here for Ben Stokes. He didn't have a great summer on Australian shores um, last summer, but look, everyone knows that if any team with Ben Stokes in it is a, is a dangerous prospect and Australians won't be taking that series lightly. Absolutely not, because they haven't won one in you know, more than 20 years in England. Mm. Um, Eddie Jones now he's had a phone call um, with Australian rugby Uh, that's all we sort of know what do you think is going on and where will he land oh it's a very good question there's two parts to it it's whether Australia would want to get him involved for 2023 um, and be involved in that setup heading into a World Cup or whether they see value in trying to possibly and they might have other options in mind, whether they want to try and install Jones or someone else in 2024 after post-Dave Rennie. The sense is that Dave Rennie's not going to get a contract extension, regardless of how they go at the World Cup. Teams are generally trying to prepare, you know, well in advance of, of sort of what happens post the World Cup. And Australia don't want to get to a World Cup, have Australia bundle out in a quarterfinals, for example, and not have a good coach waiting in the wings. So... My gut feel is that they'll try and um, speak to Eddie, gauge his interest. I know he is interested in doing something in the US. He has been linked there. Uh, He has a lot of options. He has a a love for rugby league as well. He's been sort of trying to spruik his name to try and see if an NRL team would would bite. So there are a number of different factors at play, but I think ultimately Australian rugby is where his heart lies. Uh, There's a Lions series in 25 and a Home World Cup in 27. I think that will be a a huge carrot for, for Eddie and ultimately I think that'll be where he will land but there's a lot of water under the bridge before that would happen and that's on Rugby Australia too to make him offer. Where does Michael Checker sit in the landscape of Australian rugby or is that done for maybe in the future or maybe never? Oh, You would never say never. Michael Checker would love to coach the Wallabies again. Uh, he's, he's gone on record and said that. I think his record with Argentina is speaking for itself. The question is whether you know he can have sustained success with a team. Uh, look, I don't think it's going to be happening in the near future. I think that's more a post-2027 thing. Maybe if, if he was to reinvent himself and come back and um, mend a few bridges as well because that was quite an acrimonious split from Australian rugby at the time. Um, there are some people who haven't forgotten how that all played out and how that was handled. Uh, and his win record wasn't, you know, he took Australia to a World Cup final in 2015, but outside of that, his win record was a flat 50%, which was not certainly anything to um, crow home about. So, uh, yeah, we will see. But, uh, look, he's, he's floating around. I mean, clearly, um, he has a close connection with Eddie as well. I don't think they would probably work together, but 
Um, yeah, look, he, he'll, he'll be there thereabouts. Well, and, you know, M- Michael Jack is very much a project guy. He likes to coach all over the world. He's, you know, coaching France, Japan, you name it. He's Argentina now. He's been all over the trap. So, um, but I think ultimately, like Eddie, you know, he, coming back to the world is something you'd love to do at some point. And don't forget Lebanon and the Rugby League World Cup as well, which was just blimmin' amazing. <laughs> um, talking to Tom Decent, Sydney Morning Herald writer. Before we leave you, Tom, um, after a lot of uh, to and fro, the Super Rugby contract's been signed between New Zealand and Australia in its current form till 2030. While that's good for longevity of the competition, I was a little bit disheartened that we're not going to see any change in what does seem like a little bit of a tired format. What what was your reaction to the agreement between Australia and New Zealand for Super Rugby going forward? Yeah, it was interesting. I think, as you say, good good security to lock that in until 2030. Um, I think that Australia and New Zealand would actually be open to changing teams and, and bringing a few teams in um, sort of maybe not next year or the year after but sort of from 25 onwards I don't think they're against that process I think the Japan piece is something they'd really like to tap into at some point but yeah look COVID totally obliterated Super Rugby in its, in its form that was sort of effectively there since 1996 I think having a little bit of stability for a couple of years I think a joint commission is really good in terms of being able to market and, and sort of be on the same page uh, but give it a couple of years and then maybe if it's not working, try and evoke another team or bring them in and, and try and jazz it up a bit. But, yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But definitely administrators on both sides of the ditch in the years to come. I'm open to, to a bit of change, but there has been so much change in recent years, so I think they would like a bit of consistency in the years post-COVID. Does it annoy you that, uh, it annoys me, that administrators from different countries, they don't seem to get on. There's all this to and fro and arguing. I've seen it for years between the All Blacks and particularly England with they refuse to share a gate and refuse to do anything at Twickenham. And we've been tr- talking about this global calendar for as long as I've been alive and it's never going to be resolved. There's just all this arguing and bickering, and I feel like the game itself will suffer. I agree. The global calendar stuff is a disgrace. That that hasn't happened. That's a Northern Hemisphere problem. Everyone needs to get in a room and make that work. That's a great concept that should happen, and that's the biggest shame of rugby in the last sort of five years that that hasn't really got off the ground despite a lot of talks. The Australian New Zealand one's funny. I think they actually do get on, but. Um, Hamish McLennan likes to have a bit of fun in the media and um, he <laughs> likes to get his way. I actually don't think he particularly has an issue with New Zealand rugby. Um, he, he, he wanted a greater slice of that broadcast revenue. He went out in the press and had a few pops at our Kiwi friends and um, probably got an okay deal out of it or a better deal than he initially did. So to say that there's hostility there, I don't think it's anything beyond a few barbs in the media and Hamish um, can't help himself from time to time. So um, it's good fodder. But I think the Australian New Zealand one's better than some other countries, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, it, it definitely is. All right, Tom, really appreciate chatting to you this afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your week. Will do. Thank you. Cheers. Tom Deason out of the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, interesting stuff around the Eddie Jones. Um, had a text in just saying, Aussies just don't understand how the rest of the world think about David Warner. By and large, many of us just don't like him or the Australian team for that matter. From Mike and from Mark, once a cheat, always a cheat. Yeah, I just, I really struggle. And that's why I asked him the question, is it because it's David Warner? If it was um, um, Pat Cummins, if it was uh, Travis Head, like, is it, 
I just feel he is the least palatable player for this to happen to. Those names, even the names you mentioned off staff, I just can't stand the Aussie cricket team. Just all of them. <laughs> I don't care who it is. There isn't even, Nathan Ryan? Oh, actually, he's he's on the edge. But a lot of them are just, oh, they're painful. They're punishing. Pa- they're so, I mean, David Warner, who like, cel- remember that video came out when he was on the band and he was like celebrating 100 for basically what was club cricket? Yeah. And, and people were almost like looking at him like, bro, this is like a almost social. Yeah, the men's massive jump in the air and yeah, the kiss like of the, the emblem. Yeah, kiss of the, oh, yeah, it's a little bit too much for me. But um, You know the one that re- annoys me the most at the moment, mm. apart from David Warner, like he's, he's yep. king of the world yes. of annoyance, is Josh Hazelwood. He reminds me of Glenn McGrath. Like if you play and miss, they just stare down there oh, and I go, know. who do you think you are? What do you think They're you're just doing They're so cocky here? and arrogant. Yeah, come on, England. I think, I think actually <laughs> – and I agree with that text. I don't know if Tom or Australians understand the sentiment held towards guys like Dave Warner. So you asked that question. I asked them, has he yeah. got sympathisers expecting to go no? And he yeah. said, there's heaps. Yeah. Done your time. Yeah. But it, it is a convict colony. <laughs> so they're used to it. Jeepers. <laughs> tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. Let's have some sport and weather with a great carrot. Afternoons with Staffy. We are here in association with the great crew at Gull. They will fuel your mission all year round. They will fuel your car, but go out and get your get your little treats if you're going to take part in the longest day. That is the Cancer Society's longest day. Longestday.org.nz, I think it is. Um, four rounds of golf, 72 holes. In fact, the breakfast crew had uh, a group of guys, I think they, they said there was 21 of them playing four rounds today at Whitford Park. So if you're listening, crew, sterling effort. And they'd raised over 10 grand, which is just fantastic. Um, you'll be feeling it now, won't you, champions? You're probably in your final round or about to start your final round. And the thing I like, Sammy, there's 21 of them and they're all going to tee off the last together. All 21 of them. Good. And I, re- I was going to say all tee off at exactly the same time, but the tee, tee box won't be big enough to where get are they? Where are they playing, sorry? Whitford. Whitford? Oh. Mm. Don't know. I think it's Whitford. Yeah, yeah I think, I think I've been to Whitford, but I've not yet yeah, played it. So no, I've on. never played there as well. So well done to your champion. So if you want to be part of that, jump onto the internet and go find the longest day, uh, thanks to the Cancer Society, and um, raising very, very important funds. I touched on the World 7 circuit and someone texted in and said the next one is in Hamilton, which of course it is. Just 39 days and 21 hours away before that gets underway. Uh, Men's and women's there and then the following week they head to Sydney. Uh, The men's and women's both there and then the men head off to Los Angeles at the end of February and then both men and women go to Vancouver, then Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, Toulouse and the Toulouse is the last round for the women and then the men wind up in London and the standings at the moment I didn't realise how 
how much the New Zealanders had climbed, actually. Um, New Zealand sit in third, but they're only three points adrift of both South Africa and Samoa, who are 47 points each, uh, New Zealand on 44, and, of course, the women's side, Australia and New Zealand leading, joint leaders 38 and six back to the USA sevens. And if you remember last week, I said, uh, I think a team you could perhaps make a little bit of money off investments was Uruguay. And what did they do? They beat uh, they beat a big name in the weekend, albeit with the aid of two cards, so it was seven on five that allowed them to get the win. But Uruguay, one to watch for the future as well. Interesting chat there um, with our Sydney Morning Herald man, Tom Decent. Decent Sammy. chat, yeah. Decent chat. We, we were talking about it off here. He needs to uh, start up his own podcast. There's a lot of names you could float around there. Because his it's, name actually is D-E-C-E-N-T, yeah. just Decent. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard for you to say his name's actually Decent. He's just mate, a good, decent bloke. He's a great guy. Um, just back to your longest day as well, Steph. Um, would it matter for someone like myself where, you know, it'll take the whole day to do one round? Yeah, is I was going to say, you'd you be know? the longest two days. Probably, yeah. Or four, actually. Do one Can a day. you imagine your frustration level, Sam, at the end of four rounds in a day? No, you, you're missing you're missing too many. I don't actually get that frustrated. Oh, don't you? No. But no. the text messages after the round, like, I hate golf. Oh, like, that sounds frustrating. It's a little bit of me playing up, you know, playing playing to the stereotype a little bit. But um, no, I, I've sort of learned to accept that I'm not very good. I'm, I'm trying to get better rather than thinking that everything's going to happen instantly because I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into, right? They, they think, oh, you know, I've played sport before. I'm athletic. I can I can hit a golf club, and they let it get to them. Um, no, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I will walk away from a game hating it, never wanting to play again. Mm. But you won't visibly see that on the course. Doesn't take yeah. long to get over because then you're just like two wow. or three days. Because what's the one thing you remember about golf? Yeah, good shots. The good shot. Yeah, you take one or two good shots and away you go. You you better like. Oh, I hit my seven iron good. It's my favourite club. It is my favourite club, <laughs> to be honest. But we, when I played Helmsville that other week, and I, you know, first few holes were just atrocious. And then I just hit this clean, you know, I think it was a seven actually, clean on a par three. And I was just like, I'm back, baby. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. And then, yeah, nothing from there. One shot <laughs> heals 18. 10. Oh, One it really shot does. heals 10. really does. But, yeah, it's um, it's a tough old game. But, no, back to back to Tom Decent. Someone's just uh, said, is that actually Tom's surname? Decent. There's not many of those over here. That's from Will. I wonder if Will is Will decent. Oh, no, there's not many decent Decent people people. And then someone's actually sort of gone a step further here and taken that whole convict argument to another level. There is a lot of distaste for Australian sports teams, isn't there, Steph? I mean, they they do exude a certain arrogance, don't they? They're, They're... it's interesting us and them. We obviously have this tight relationship. They, I don't know if you can say they punch above their weight. Certainly in terms of population, they sort of punch quite high at international sporting events. But they have what we don't have, which is the arrogant confidence, you know, whereas we are the other way. We're the humble, humility, reserved, etc. I'm going to make a big statement. Go on then. They have an attitude of excellence. Yep. New Zealand have an attitude of inclusion. Never the two shall meet. I am not saying necessarily that we are right and they're wrong because I feel like we could do with a little bit more grit, especially our cricket team, right? We've always said our cricket team, why, too nice. We're, too, we're the nice guys, which is which is good. But, man, if we just had a little bit of a ruthless edge to us, mm. would we get a few more I results? Just, I know we have a few Aussie listeners on. Do, do your junior sports teams get certificates for participation and winning doesn't matter? Do you have netball tournaments where you don't keep the score because it's not the score that counts? I can't see that in Australia. 
I can't. Although you've got guys like Wayne Goldsmith, who's very a big proponent of that, and he's going into schools and stuff teaching that. But mm. I do take your point. I think, um, I mean, the Aussie cricket team is is a class above, though. You know, like the, the, I don't have the same attitude towards oh, the, the Wallabies. The longevity of excellence of Australian cricket, they, they'll have the odd downer series, but doesn't last long. But, but it was the players as well, though. You know, like like the Brad Haddens of this world. I mean, even oh. even Ponting and Pup, to an extent, you know, staff were, were dicks on the field. <laughs> you know, like great players, but they were dicks on the field. And, and like you said, Glenn McGrath. You know, these guys were, oh, use the T word, but they were tools. Um, <laughs> but they were, they were good players. I think, but I think it's different here because I didn't dislike them because they were good. Sometimes that, I think that's an, like Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, depending on which side of the fence is, sometimes people just don't like them because they're the best or Tom Brady. Or the Crusaders. Yeah, correct. But the Aussie cricket team, is, it's a little bit more than that. Because you can be a good player and Correct. still be a good person. Correct. And there are, uh, hard to find, but there are some in that Aussie team, right? Nathan Ryan. <laughs> I think Nathan Ryan's probably it. a good example. But yeah, the others are, I mean, Warner and Smith. I mean, Steve, Steve Smith must have the, if there is a face that when you see, immediately gives you a visceral feeling in your bones, is it not the face of Steve Smith? Yes. Seriously. Yes. And David Warner a close yes. second. You know, I used to see Brad Hannon, and he didn't even have to be doing anything, smiling, laughing, talking to just seeing his face made me want to turn off the TV, you know? Yeah. You got me worked up now. Uh, Matt's got some good advice for your golf. Next time you play, Sam, just count, count your good shots, then try and beat that number of good shots the next round. Well, I mean, my, my um, person who's giving me lessons at the moment said, um, don't even count your – like, if you're just sort of starting out or you're trying to get better in practicing, like, don't count your score. Because it's the score that gets people going, Steph. Mm. When you know that you're, you know, 20 over through however many, that's where you get worked up. He just said, don't count your score. Just count, yeah, how many good shots you're hitting. How how was the contact feel? And that's all you do. So that's what I've been trying to to buy into. Someone, and Zade wants to update Steph. Somebody else tweeted us and said, where are the updates? We've gone signed on the updates today with, I think your Bills are playing, aren't they? Bills, Isn't it your Bills? Bills have won. The Bills have won. No, they won earlier. Maybe it's the Dolphins, someone. It's the Dolphins are playing the Chargers today. And Zay's just asked, has has he thrown for a touchdown yet? Um, um, Dolphins. Who's he asking for? The Dolphins? Yep, they have have scored a TD. Uh, Phil, block your ears. Phil, block your ears. They've scored a TD. It's uh, 10-7. He hasn't thrown a TD, though. And they haven't thrown a TD and they haven't rushed run. for a touchdown either. Oh, did they get a fumble? or Is that the intercept? Dolphins leading? Uh, no, the Chargers are leading 10-7. Maybe they got a um, intercept or a fumble for a touchdown. Here's a touchdown. Uh, so the Chargers have got a passing touchdown. Right. And the Dolphins, I don't know how they got these. But there you go. All right. Um, gosh, I had something else to suggest to you too, Sam, but um, we, got, we got waylaid. Get lessons, Sam. The only way to get better at golf or anything else in life, for that matter. He started lessons. He's, I think he's had two. I think he's had two. Um, three lessons. Um, pup. Excuse me. What an absolute knob. Pup. Was that? Oh, Michael Clark. Yes. Yes. We could go, that could be a midday madness. Biggest knobs in sport. Oh my goodness, should we do that tomorrow? Biggest knobs in sport? Is that is that a bit too negative? Should we? Oh, I'd have to clarify what that means. Biggest um, pain. Anyway, we'll have a break. We'll come back and find out what happened on this day uh, in recent times. 
Here's what happened back in the day. Flash. <clears throat> On this day, <clears throat> December 12, 1908, Daily Messenger captained Australia's Rugby League to a 22-all draw against Great Britain at the Park Royal Ground in London. In 1959, 22-year-old Kiwi Bruce McLaren became the youngest winner of a Formula One. Less than half a mile to go, Brabham runs out of petrol, and Bruce McLaren at 22 is the youngest driver ever to win an international Grand Prix. Good on you, Bruce McLaren. 1971, the LA Lakers broke the NBA record of 20 consecutive wins when they beat Atlanta 104.95 at the Forum, and it was their 21st straight victory. In 2006, Tiger Woods was named the PGA Tour Player of the Year for the eighth time in his career. A lot of birthdays today. Bob Pettit, NBA Hall of Famer, turns 90. Will Carling, former England captain, turns 57 today. Stevie Devine. Former All Black and SENZ workmate. Not going to say old jar, Steve. Happy birthday, champion. Jared Huata, All Black. Māori All Black. Taranaki legend, 39 today for the big man. Got a great story about Jared Huata one day from the uh, Scott Waldron wedding. Save that for another day. And Isaac John, former warrior and Kiwi, turns 36 today. On this day in 1989, the number one movie was a... They used to bring these movies out all the time, National Lampoon. This one was... Christmas Vacation and the number one song There he is, probably played at Eden Park the other night. Um, I saw he joined Tina Arena at a concert in Australia over the weekend as well. One of my favourite female vocalists of all time, Tina Arena. Absolute Australian icon. That's what's happened on this day, December 12. We will take a break. We'll come back, wrap it all up. Local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. All the afternoon delight you'll ever need. It's Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Um, text for, uh, vice for Sam about the golf. You'll be all right, Sam. All you need to do is get Kirsty's coach on and you'll be sweet. You'll be hitting at 280 in no time, buddy. I've never felt more deflated in sport as when Stark bowled Baz in that World Cup final in 2015. And yes, Brad Haddon, definitely a very punchable face. <laughs> Staffy and Sam, don't forget Marcus. Just can't stand his carry-on. Right up there with Smith, Clark, Warner, McGrath and more. But I still watch their summer of cricket and Gilly is a real champion. Cheers, Ken. I watch their summer of cricket. Their coverage is fantastic. Their coverage is fantastic. Um, Join us tomorrow. We will have numbers eight and seven in our biggest sporting moments. Not a definitive list, but it's one that me, Captain K and Sammy came up with. So we'll have numbers eight and seven tomorrow. Sammy's going to be remote. Don't know why, but he's going to be remote. But tomorrow we do have uh, draft day, Tuesday draft day, draft day. Um, so that's always a bit of fun. We'll have a brand new vault worth $100 as well. <clears throat> Got some um, slightly different guests lined up for tomorrow, which I'm sure uh, you will enjoy. Don't forget, yes, I told you, brand new vault for um, $100 tomorrow. 
Very cool day today, talking to Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man, looking back at the Taupo Iron Man over the weekend. Glenn Ashby, the New Zealand's newest world record holder. Uh, the land speed wind record is theirs now. And Tom De- Decent, Sydney Morning Herald, rugby and cricket writer. Want to listen to any of those? Go to wherever you listen to your podcasts. They are all there. Big thank you to Captain K and Sammy H, particularly for putting together these biggest sporting moments. It's been a lot of fun. Well done, crew. Uh, and the run home crew, they're poised, they're ready to take you through the next three hours. See you tomorrow.